Radio Mano Papachango. from the shores of Lake Atitlan, Guatemala. I'm in a little village called San Marcos. Very strange. Run into four, maybe five people already in this tiny little no red light, no stop signs town. Uh, I don't even think there's a gas station. It's just like a tiny little village on the shore of this lake. Running to, yeah, half a dozen people who listen to the podcast. Crazies. Just craziness. It always blows my mind. I, I don't understand it at all. But anyway, um, I realize this announcement I'm about to make applies to a very small segment of this audience. <laughs> I mean, a microscopic segment. But I just want to announce that if you happen to be on the shores of Lake Atitlan and you're listening to this, we are going to be doing a get-together. Who would have thought there would be sufficient people to bother with something like this? But we're going to do it. Saturday night, September, what is that, 4th, uh, 6 p.m. at Vida Cafe in San Marcos. Uh, Yeah, I guess that's all I have to say about that. Looking forward to seeing you there. If you're hearing my voice and you're in the vicinity, come on down. There are at least four or five people we know already who are planning to come. So, And while I'm on the topic of Lake Atitlan news, I am speaking to you from the dining room table of one of the most spectacular houses I've ever slept in. Uh, it's called Lakeview Lodge, <clears throat> and the owner is a dude named Morgan, Morgan and Veli, his wife, I think, own the place. It's called Casa Veli, uh, locally, uh, but online you can find it as Lakeview Lodge, San Marcos, Atitlan, Guatemala. It's an Airbnb, and it was uh, open a couple of nights. I don't know if they had a cancellation or something, because it's totally booked up the rest of the time. Um but anyway, Morgan, I guess, listens to the podcast, and he reached out and said, hey, you're going to be uh, in Atitlan. We have a house there. It's open a few nights. Uh, you guys should hang. And we did. And it's awesome. Uh, if you follow me on Instagram, you've seen some photos I've taken from the bed and from the this big balcony, this beautiful terrace overlooking the lake and the volcanoes and just unbelievable view so if you're coming to Atitlan at some point make a note Lakeview Lodge if you can get it it's worth it it's a pretty extraordinary place so I just wanted to publicly thank Morgan and Bailey for that cool all right uh another announcement I wanted to make uh before we get into the meat of this week's episode is that Anya Kotz is doing another lunar circle. Now, this is an interesting thing. It's where she talks about personal mythology, essentially, uh, through sort of within the framework of 
astrology and those two worlds intersect and sort of reflect one another. Um, she's doing this thing. It's it's happening in October. Uh, she did one a few months ago, and it was a rousing success. So she's doing another one now, and I think we're going to go to Antigua because she needs stronger internet in order to pull that off. It starts in early October. You can find out more about it by going to her website, Anya Kotz, that's K-A-A-T-S dot com forward slash lunar circle. Um, yeah, it's a funny thing because astrology is probably one of the few subjects that uh, she and I don't really agree on in many ways. But the more I'm coming to see that she views it not as a predictive, you know, newspaper, you're an Aquarius, so you're like this kind of thing. She sees it more as a a door into discussions of archetypes that Jung spoke about and that uh, Car- Joseph Campbell spoke about and that seem to be extant in virtually every society uh, anywhere on the planet, which suggests that these are reflections of something deep within the structure of the human mind, um, or at least within the interaction between the human mind and the natural world that created that mind. So it's much more than, uh, if you're skeptical about astrology, well, so am I. And uh, what she's talking about is something apart from that. So anyway, if you're interested in that, check out the Lunar Circle. I think she's got a discount for signups before September 10th, I believe. So there's that. Uh, This week's episode is a great one. It's with a dude named Cameron Shane. I mentioned him uh, on previous episodes. When we were up in Montana, we stopped in to his Budokan center that he runs with his wife, Malane Shane. And uh, we just dropped in thinking we might join them for lunch, hang out a little bit, say hello, and then roll on out. I think we ended up staying three days and we only left because we had a commitment to, to go see someone else. Uh, we we could still be there. That's how comfortable it was. Just awesome people. And it's funny, like I'm looking at his webpage right now and there's this uh, photo of him on the cover of Mover magazine, I think, because he's um, a movement guy, martial arts specialist, black belts in various martial arts. And he's sort of the founder or one of the you know, OGs of the natural movement um, the world, I guess. Anyway, I'm looking at this photograph of him. He's like tatted up and he's good looking and he's got, you know, perfect musculature and he's wearing these leather UFC gloves. I think he, he coached UFC teams and stuff. He just looks like such a macho, badass mofo. <clears throat> but... What you'll find when you listen to this is that that's an illusion. That's just what he looks like. What he's really like is playful and funny and quirky and goofy. And I'm not surprised that the Budokan movement that he developed is comprised largely of rolling around on the floor like a baby and and moving like a chimpanzee or a gorilla it's so playful and 
you know, I was standing there watching him teach it and watching him do it. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's all there. That's all it is. That's really easy. I mean, I could do that. Anyone could do that. Cause it's so natural. The movements are just so uh, innate, I guess is the word. And then the next day he said, after breakfast, let's go out and do some, you know, rolling around and let's play on the mats. And I was like, okay, sure. Why not? And went out there and my, it was ready to fucking croak. It was so hard. It's so hard to just roll around on the floor like a kid or a cat or, you know, some other animal that hasn't unlearned these natural movements. Um, anyway, so it's, uh, it's a really interesting thing that he's doing. And it's so mind-body. Um, he is not what he looks like on that magazine cover, a sort of stiff, tense, muscular guy who's about to kick your ass. He's a sweetheart. And uh, Anya and I both felt very uh, honored by the the just affection and sincerity and kindness that, uh, that we were shown there at that place in Whitefish, Montana. Um, he was, uh, let me read a little from his bio here known as the teacher of teachers he's responsible for the creation of budokan yoga style budokan mobility style and the budokan mixed martial arts system uh he has a radically honest and transparent style of teaching through critical self-analysis i can vouch for that uh received his black belt in olympic style taekwondo in 1992 uh, received his black belt in Yushukai Japanese Karate Do in 2003. And he's got a brown belt in the Gracie lineage of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Uh, he's a movement coach for the Bellator World Champion Fight Team, as well as uh, he was Charlie Sheen's bodyguard. We talk about that a bit. I guess he's taught movement to Sean Penn slash Courtney Cox. Meg Ryan, Jennifer Aniston, Renee Russo, as well as Olympians and Sugar Ray Leonard and a whole bunch of other people. So uh, his bona fides are pretty strong. Anyway, that's who this week's episode is with. Uh, before we get to that, I just wanted to quickly um, comment a bit on on what I ranted about last time. Last episode, because I got some pushback on that. Some people are like, dude, what are you defending, you know, child pornographers or I don't know if you missed that. Uh, I was talking about Apple's decision to scan everybody's iPhones and then turn in people who have um, sexual explicit images of children. And it's my point was not to defend child porn or to defend pornographers or, you know, sex trafficking or any of that stuff. Obviously, I would hope it's obvious. Um, my point was that I don't understand the argument that says certain images are illegal and others aren't. Because as far as I can tell, that are, the argument either has to be the possession of images is harmful to someone or that certain images encourage certain behavior. Those are the only two arguments I can find. 
and I don't think either of them applies, right? Because we can possess all sorts of images that are considered horrible, ugly, um, painful, and those can be considered journalism. Um, or they can, I mean, it occurred to me after I recorded that rant that probably the most well-known image in the world is an image of a man being tortured to death. The crucifix, the holy cross, that's an image of a man being tortured to death. That's not illegal to possess. It's not illegal to wear on a pendant around your neck. Far from it. Millions and hundreds of millions of people do. Billions probably. So clearly the problem is not that you have an image that suggests an illegal act or depicts an illegal act or depicts horrible abuse of a person. That's not illegal. Um, so anyway, that was my point. My point was I don't get the argument, right? And I try to think of principles, try to stick with principles, not individual cases, because you can't live your life constantly working on the level of the individual case. Of course, you want to be sensitive to that and you want to be able to make exceptions. You want to understand where people are coming from in their individual situation, but you need to have some sort of principles, right? Is speech free or not? Do we tolerate monopolies controlling our access to information or not? Now, some people might say, oh, but you're against, you know, people who scream about not wearing masks or anti-vaxxers or whatever. I disagree with their arguments, but I'm not saying they should be Eliminated, they shouldn't be allowed to speak. I, I think everyone should be allowed to speak, and I think pretty much anything should be allowed to be said. But of course, people have a right to be offended by that and to respond to that, um, just not by canceling. I remember when this uh, movie came out, now it's sort of disappeared, but at the time it was a big deal. It was a movie made by Michael Moore's. One of Michael Moore's producers, I forget what it was called, but it was a basically a critique of the environmental movement. And it was saying, I think the central argument of the, of the film was, we're not going to be able to dig our way out of the environmental mess that we're in by inventing more or applying more solar technology or whatever, because it takes resources to make solar panels and those resources themselves are problematic. And what, and you know, all these batteries that lithium batteries that are being manufactured that are supposedly going to solve the problem. Well, where are we going to put those? Now we're going to have a lithium spent lithium battery disposal disaster to deal with. The point was we need to reduce global population and reduce our consumption, not that we can buy or innovate our way out of this, right? And I got into a big tussle with Josh Fox about it because I said something on social media about how I agreed with the essential argument being put forward, and he was leading a campaign to have the film canceled. And he basically told me to shut up, that 
I shouldn't say anything publicly about the environmental movement without running it by him first, which you can imagine I wasn't thrilled with that. Um, but I mean, that's the point. It's We need to have these arguments. We need to have discussions. And whatever people want to say, say it out loud. And if it's bullshit, call it bullshit, but don't. When I was a kid, this expression, I don't remember who said it, but it was, I may disagree with you, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it, right? I may disagree with what you say, but I will defend your right to say it. That used to be a central principle of American culture. And now it seems to have evaporated. Don't hear people saying that anymore. But fuck it, I still say it. All right, that's it. Enough from me. Oh, and also the other thing I wanted to say, again, I don't think this needs to be said, but some people were saying, well, what about your guest? You know, he's being associated with you talking about, you know, child pornography, and then he can be canceled. But I just want to say for the record, none of my guests have anything at all to do with whatever I rant about that week. I'm just responding to whatever I'm thinking about at the moment has nothing to do with the guest. So the guest is totally innocent of whatever nonsense I happen to say in the uh, intro here. I hope that's obvious, but for the record. (laughs) Now I'm going to play you out with a song that's been one of my favorite songs since the first time I heard it, which must have been in the 70s, I imagine, because I had this album, Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band album, on 8-track. Most of you listening to this don't even know what the fucking 8-track was. But it was a, a came before the cassette, uh, after the reel-to-reel and the LP. Um, it was a technology that wasn't around for long. But I had one in my car in high school. And this was one of my favorite um, albums to play, records to play. I remember the 8-tracks I had were... Bob Seger, Dire Straits, their first record, um, Styx, The Grand Illusion, uh, A Few Rush, 2112, for sure. Uh, that's about all I can remember. I'm sure some others will come to me. Maybe The Year of the Cat by Al Stewart, possibly. Um, yeah. So for those of you who are of an age to remember, you'll know exactly the era I'm talking about. Um, anyway, this song's called night moves and I know you've heard it. It's a classic. It's on the radio all the time. It's probably paid for three houses for Bob Seger. I hope it has because it's a subtle nuanced song. If you, if you listen to it without attention, you'll think, oh, it's a story about like first girlfriend or something, uh, just sort of nostalgic, but it's not, it's about his first sexual partner who was not his girlfriend. In fact, he says, I used her. She used me. Neither one cared. We did not share. So it's a strange song because he's remembering his discovery of sex and his first exploration of it with this girl, how they'd go out into the corn, out in the woods, out in the, somewhere out where the woods got heavy in the backseat of my 60 Chevy, working on mysteries without any clues. 
they, they didn't know what they were doing. They were just trying to figure it out together. Uh, they would go into back rooms and alleys and trusty woods. So the, the song is describing this mutual discovery, but without emotion, without intimacy. And he says that right up front. And I find that so admirable and interesting um, for a song like this, because the sort of cliched formulaic thing would have, would have been to remember it as we were in love. But he says, we weren't in love. Oh, no, far from it. We weren't searching for some high in the sky summit. We were just young and restless and bored, living by the sword. Which suggests to me maybe they weren't using birth control. Hmm. I'm not sure what living by the sword meant. Anyway, he's remembering that time in his life. And of course, he remembers it with nostalgia. You'll hear the nostalgia in the song. You'll hear the yearning, the loss, the the grieving for his lost youth. Because as he says, he keeps saying in the song, it was summertime. Sweet, sweet summertime. That's youth, right? That was youth. Even... This experience without intimacy, without love, without depth, it was still incredibly intense because it was so new and because we were young, right? It was summertime, sweet, sweet summertime. And at the very end of the song, he's remembering that time. And he remembers again that it was summertime, but now autumn closing in. It's later in his life. And so there's that perspective looking back on it. And it reminds me of this line I heard recently. I may have mentioned it on the podcast was that nostalgia is memory without detail. Right? Like how many, when we remember people that we loved or places that we've been, we remember all the beautiful things, all the great things, but we don't remember the annoying day-to-day details. Right. We don't remember the the shit that bugged us. That stuff just falls away and we remember the beauty of it. And it's an interesting thing for me to be thinking about now in Guatemala, because I've only been here once before. And that was in 1989. I was 27 years old. And here I am again with autumn closing in. Hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you for supporting the podcast, however you do it. And if you can't afford it financially, that's totally cool. I'm just glad you're along for the ride. Talk to you soon. I'm a little too tall, could've used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, hollering out. She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high Way up firm and high Out past the cornfields where the woods got heavy Out in the back seat of my 60 Chevy Working on mysteries without any clues Working on a night move 
trying to make some front page driving news. Working on our night moves. In the summertime. Some high in the sky song. We were just young and restless and bored, living by the sword. And we steal away every chance we could. Back room to the alley of the trusty woods. I used to she used me, but neither one cared. We were getting our share, working on our nightmares. Trying to lose an awkward teenage blues Working on a nightmare And it was summertime And it's funny how the night moves When you just don't seem to have as much to lose Strange how the night moves With autumn closing in
I'm in the where am I? I'm in the basement. I'm, I've got I'm with Cameron Shane in essentially what appears to be a stripper room. <laughs> there's a stripper pole, but there's jujitsu mats on the floor. There's a bed. There's a bed. There's a <laughs> there's a mirror. There's a giant. T- I don't know what's going on down here. Pictures of naked guys on the wall. <laughs> I mean, nothing. There's nothing confusing about this environment. <laughs> this at all. is where it's we are. And we have a little table, and we're sitting on the floor. So if you hear me fidgeting, it's because uh, you know I'm sitting on the floor, and I'm not a I'm not a goddamn jujitsu practitioner. So, but Cameron is. So, dude, welcome. This is a uh, this is like my favorite kind of podcast to do, where like I don't really know someone, mm-hmm. but I'm getting to know them a little bit, mm-hmm. and we're at that stage where like we're sort of telling each other lots of stories and stuff. It's really nice to be able to capture a little bit of that moment. And there's so many different, I I also love doing podcasts with old friends, you know, but, uh, I think in 20 years you'll be an old friend. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Already. I'm I'm like, Chris, you can move in. It's okay. We've got space for you and Anya. Just, yeah, we'll just move into the stripper room. Totally. Come on in. Yeah. Yeah. This, uh, you know, it was so much fun to get the, notification from you like hey i'm in whitefish because i wasn't sure if you were going to make it when i saw your schedule you you'd laid yeah. it out and i was like oh shit i'm not he's not gonna be coming up this way and then you reached out and i was like yeah i was super excited yeah well, so much depends on the snow and the our snow the smoke and oh, the, yeah. the fires and so we kind of try to keep the the schedule pretty fluid because we're always you know like oh shit there's too much smoke but uh, yeah, made it to Whitefish. It's That's pretty a, nice up here. It is. Yeah, we're in Whitefish, Montana. Super beautiful. So tell tell people where we are and and what you're doing here. So I was originally well, I, I started my career in Los Angeles, and then I relocated at one point to Miami, and I was there for about eight or ten years. The pandemic hit. I said okay, and I had a had, had built an academy there. And I said, okay, this is a good time to make the shift into, I wanted to have a retreat center because just for context, I'm a movement teacher and coach for professional athletes and um, professional teachers, whether you're a UFC athlete, I've coached Olympic you know, athletes as well and, and, and people in the entertainment business. So I've, I'm a, you know, I'm a movement teacher and a performance coach. So um, if, you know, for, for the base, an easy descriptor, um, I'm a bit, uh, as you've started to discover, I'm a bit on the fringe of that concept. I'm an alternate, you know, I, I definitely work in the, I'd be like a naturopathic doctor versus, mm. you know, a, a traditional uh, medical doctor. So I, you know, I will work with, you know, psychoactive plants versus, you know, maybe a, a Tony Robbins approach, which might be, you know, more, a little bit more practical in, in that way. I don't know if Tony's eating. He might be eating plants. I don't know. He seems like a guy who's probably. You would think. I hope so. I like his. I like his vibe. I yeah. mean, I don't think he's. I think he's. Uh, he's a good friend of mine is Becky Robbins, who's his former wife. Uh-huh. Um, we became really good friends, and I think she saw something similar in me as a person, just the way that I'm. Sort of work mm. with people, and, and right. she was like, mm, she took a liking to me as a friend, and we've we've been friends for many years. But she actually was the one who helped build his career originally. So yeah. she was his first wife. How do you? 
I mean, all right, we're going to go all over the place here because I mean, you, you raised Tony Robbins, at, and that's a question he brings up a question that I'm always thinking about, which is how does someone like you, I mean, you've got, all right, we're in this place, we're in this beautiful property here in mm-hmm. Montana. You've got, what, 20, 25 people we here? We have 25 students, yep. I met them all last night, and I just want to say this. I think people who listen to the podcast know I don't say shit like this gratuitously. I... Everyone I met was awesome. Yeah. Everyone was cool. You, yeah. You've got a vibe here. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you filter people. I don't know how, if they're self-selecting. I don't know if it's the energy of the place, but mm-hmm. everyone is like happy, open, kind. There's mm-hmm. just this really sweet vibe going yeah. on here. Sincere. Yeah. That's my favorite word when, when you know, and the, the way it, the way it works for me is that in the early days when I started, you know, holding these camps, what, what, so bringing us back so the listener understands what we're doing. This is like a retreat center. It's an institute of higher learning for movement and for mind development for me. That's mm-hmm. what, what, that's the way I consider the Budokan, um, you know, uh, retreat center to be the filtering process is it, 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 in, the, in the early days, I couldn't filter at all because no one really knew who I was and what I did. And as I've built this reputation of being a very, um, and I can, not a, not a, uh, not a dis, not a difficult individual, but a disagreeable individual, that distinction, well, I think is so important. Um, because I think that, Difficult people just want to be right. Yeah. And disagreeable people just simply obviously don't agree with everything that's being said. Right. And so you can have a a nice, you know. So that's your reputation? You're disagreeable? My reputation is that I'm a very disagreeable person. And because I started off in the yoga community, primarily introduced what I had built. And I use that community because it's very open to ideas. And and it's, it's very common if you are a yoga student, it's very common that the yoga school you attend will invite guest teachers to come in. You can learn different styles, different ways, different approaches. And that's a very common attitude in the yoga, different than in the martial arts world Hmm. where you've got a martial arts head teacher who owns an academy. He's not inviting usually, uh, certainly in the old days, he wouldn't invite other styles or other people to come in and introduce other ideas Hmm. because that would sort of redirect attention and focus of the students right. and that that's the mentality oh, interesting. now in jujitsu i can invite another jujitsu teacher right because he's gonna obviously be talking the same language and i don't he's not a competing brand for me i see and that's the mentality so in the yoga world that's it's understood and it's welcome so i i that was my entry point and i to, to share what i was building and what I started noticing in the yoga world was because I was raised a Christian. I'm an atheist now, but at that time I was raised in a religious Southern Baptist family. And I noticed that, oh, this is, this is really trippy because this whole fucking thing is, is more religion 
just masked <laughs> with with this cool oh hey we're all cool and and but mm-hmm. but behind it all we're singing spiritual hymns mm-hmm. where there's still dogma we've still got a bible it's called the you know it's called patanjali's uh, you know yoga sutras it's still got rules those rules are really specific hierarchy oh yeah and yeah. if you do this you're not a yogi and if right. you do that you're not a yogi if you do this you are a yogi and i was like oh okay here we go and so i started you know understanding this so of course you can imagine the first thing i did was start calling bullshit mm. well the yoga community the more popular i got the less they liked that <laughs> because yeah. you don't want a big voice who's challenging the narrative that's paying the bills. Right. Because that's how the bills get paid in a yoga school is teacher training. Right. Well, you're going to run a teacher training program. I got to teach from the script because that's how everybody's doing it. And you got organizations out there like Yoga Alliance, who's like this self-appointed governing body of yoga. You're like, who the fuck appointed you guys? And what are your credentials? They literally sit in an office and just collect money from young yoga teachers who need to have this, you know, stamp on their certificate that says, I'm with Yoga Alliance. And it's like, but, but what, what, what's that mean? Yeah. Well, it doesn't mean anything. It means $60 or $100 a year yeah. to these guys. Yeah. So I go, I go, hey, fuck you guys. Yoga Alliance is bullshit. And, but my biggest shit show, <laughs> where I took the shit in the middle of the room, and it was when uh, this very well-known yoga teacher named John Friend started, uh, he got busted for dating his students. So he was having a relationships with a couple of the students. And then it was like, Oh my God, the, you know, we're back to that guru sleeping with his teachers thing. And I'm right. like, and I, I wrote a whole article and I said, this is complete bullshit. I date my students. If I meet another consensual adult, I mean, I'm 30 at the time, 30 something. If I meet a 30 year old woman in my yoga class and we decide to date, that is there's nothing out of integrity about this. This is not India. We, the guru concept does not even translate over here. You, just because you've taken a 200-hour yoga TT, which you can do, by the way, in two weeks, you got your 200-hour, you're now a spiritual leader that can't, that can't be in relationship with a student. See, you fucking guys are out of your minds. This is all bullshit. Like, this whole thing is a wow. fucking fraud. When, when did you write this? Um... About 10 years ago. Yeah. And I almost got fucking murdered. Yeah. Murdered. They went after me. I had academics in the yoga community, well-known writers, people who have you know, published books. They were writing articles about my article. They were fucking barbecuing me. Mm. And, and I, all I could do is just be like, hey. Because some people were like, listen, man, your career is about to just go down in you know, flames. You need to somehow retract this and somehow, you know, explain. And I was like, let me explain something to you. I'm a martial artist, like career. I'm a fighter since I've, you know, not only as a kid fighting on the street, but I'm a, I'm a fighter as a trained, you know, uh, um, um, it's hard sometimes to explain what a martial artist is when you, when like that's your, you know, it's like you're so identified you as uh, as as a as a, like and I called you this one time and you're like no I was like you're a philosopher you cannot not be a philosopher that you are definitely 
a philosopher. You're a modern day fucking Aristotle. That's just you. <laughs> I think you are because you're you're questioning. Did Aristotle sleep with his students? Maybe he might have. <laughs> if he was, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course he did. So, but but this is you. I, I look at you. And I go. Here's a guy who's questioning everything in such an intelligent and interesting way, and that's what we need in our culture. We cannot have right. no version of you or we are well, gone but back to you that's what you were doing i mean you okay yeah. you're saying okay this is this could have all kinds of effects on my career but i don't give a shit because i'm aligned with the truth i'm not aligned that's it. with and i'm not and, and and so what i did is i just doubled down and i yeah. said fuck you and fuck you and fuck you and i just and i stayed my course i said i'm not backing down i am not gonna i'm not gonna let you bully me into accepting that that my position is somehow out of in, you know out of integrity and, and then I got I had a number of psychologists get involved and talk about the fact that as a as a you know they started talking about you know academic professors and their relationship with students and and, and it, I mean it got it got really quite um, it got contentious to the point that you know i really ha i got tested in terms of my intellect and my ability mm -hmm. to be objective within my own self and say okay and this is taking place in yoga publications oh yeah stuff? this uh -huh. is online it's everywhere yeah. Yeah. and it was a full shit show so i i and then little and my favorite headline was uh, Cameron Shane sleeps with his students and this is why he says it's okay. I mean, they, just any way they could fucking say it. And, and to this day, you can look it up. And anybody that Googles me finds yeah. these articles. Dude, we have so much in common. And I, I don't want to like, <laughs> no, I don't want to take yeah. time here, but I led a mutiny against a yoga teacher once oh, in, in India. Wow. Like everyone in the class quit the class because I confronted him. That, that was... Uh, I had, when you Googled me for several years, the thing that came up was a, a, a still shot of me doing a video. And the headline was, Dr. Christopher Ryan says, go ahead and fuck the nanny. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. I did say it, yeah. but I was, it was an interview about, Ar the, the woman asked me about Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, he had just like gotten divorced because he fucked right. the nanny. And I was saying like, it's not about whether you fuck the nanny or not. Right. It's about whether you lie to your wife or not. Right. <laughs> right. Like, go ahead and fuck the nanny. As long as, long as the nanny's cool and your wife's cool. Right. Everybody's consenting. What's exactly. the problem? So it's exactly the oh, same fuck. argument you were making, but you know, yeah. that was me for done. I finally asked them to take it down. It didn't occur to me to ask them to change the headline, but they did. Um, no, and there was one other thing. Oh uh, shit! What were we talking? Now I'm lost. I what did you? What, what happened with the yoga? How did you confront the yoga? Guru? <clears throat> oh, he, it was this douchebag, and I was in Goa, and uh, we heard about this guy who was teaching yoga on the beach in this. You know, there was like a, a shelter, and um, and I was like, okay, let's go do. It was like a I don't know, 15 day yoga course or something. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why not? You know, do yoga in the morning, hang Sweet. on the beach. It's beautiful. And the dude was Indian, but he'd been in England for a while and he was really full of himself. He yeah. was like, you know, I'm the shit. Yeah. And the first day he sort of went around the class and asked everyone what they did for a living. And, uh, and my wife, uh, is a psychiatrist, uh, Casilda. He asked her and she said, well, I'm a doctor. And he said, what kind of doctor? And she said, I'm a psychiatrist. And he said, oh, 
Well, I, I can solve psychiatric problems that you have no idea about you with your pills and your, you know, it's just like, you don't know wow. anything about. Wow. And he just sort of did that to everyone. And then there were things where people were, you know, in this position or that position and he'd get really angry. Like, I didn't tell you to put your legs like that. I told you, know, you squeeze your buttock bones. He kept saying buttock, squeeze your buttock. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, he was just such a douchebag. And then like two or three days into it, he said, <clears throat> apparently the shelter where he was teaching was owned by the people on the restaurant on the beach. And he said, I don't want any of you to go to that restaurant because I'm having a dispute with them about the rent for this place. So nobody use that restaurant from now on. And I was like, dude, like, why are we involved in your dispute? With the, I like that restaurant. Like, you can't tell me not to go to that restaurant. It's He's like, well, I told you. In the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. No, there were a bunch of them, but it's, it was just like a power trip. Yeah, of course. You know, and it's like, dude, fuck off. You know, like, you, whatever authority you're claiming, I don't recognize it. Right. So, fuck you. And then. And you had this publicly? Oh, yeah. Said, well, I didn't okay. say fuck you. To, but I, I said, like, I don't understand why I'm responsible for your, you know, issue with mm-hmm. these people. And he just like doubled down, like, no, I'm telling you, do not go to the restaurant. And I said, well, I'm telling you, I want my money back because mm-hmm. I don't recognize you as a teacher. It was anything to say to me. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, well, I'm not giving you your money. And then someone else said, yeah, you know what? I'd like my money back, too. Oh, and, shit. and then his wife was sitting there watching this whole thing. Unravel. And, She's like, oh, yeah. fuck. And he's like, well, I'm not giving any of you your money back. And then she just said, give them their money back. And you could just see him shrink into himself. And then we got up and she gave us our money back and we left. That sounds like my marriage. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Here's my takeaway from that whole story. That sounds like my Sounds like Malane. Yeah, I'm like, yes, Malane, whatever you say. <laughs> God damn. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because the new- Oh, oh, sorry. Oh. I, I remembered the last thing. I, I, I get a talk for some people at Stanford. Yeah. And afterwards, and we had some drinks after. And the woman was taking me back to my motel or hotel, and she was on the board of trustees at Stanford. Okay. And we're driving in the car, and she said, um, she was like, well, that was really interesting. Your work's really interesting. Have you considered, like, maybe come and you know, do some teaching at Stanford? Mm-hmm. I could talk to some people. And, and I said, I just drunkenly and stupidly, I said, oh, no, I'd sleep with my students. Well, of course, because you're being a G, because you are like that. Your wit is, is bef- even before your necessary. Yeah, yeah, you're like, you're like, I'm going to be funny here and then I'm going to regret it later. <laughs> oh, dude. That's how I roll. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And she took that shit serious, huh? Well, it was serious. Well, yeah, For but, the same reason you were. It's I'm like, saying, if I meet a graduate student. Oh, yeah. And she's smart and she's cool yeah. and she's attractive and she wants to sleep with me. I'm not going to not do that because of some dumbass rules you guys have. Right. That's but between I mean, her and me. But I'm saying, in terms of her taking it seriously, like she was like, okay, um, you know, you're having a you're having a sort of a throwaway moment, but, but, but you're being you know you're being playfully honest. Yeah, yeah. How did she receive that? In silence. Okay. <laughs> like, well, in stunned silence. Well, anywho, anywho. Okay. <laughs> I mean, what's interesting is, and it. it, it this because this comes up this power dynamic conversation comes up a lot and i think it's actually if we could if we could fuck with it for a moment is 
when someone, because the argument is, if I'm an authority and there's a power, some type of in, you know, unequal power distribution, the argument is that um, I can't see clearly this relationship and therefore I can be taken advantage of and manipulated. And I would argue with these guys back, because this, this came at me a lot, and I said, where in life are you on equal footing with any human being right. ever? Right. So, so if this woman has more money than this guy, there's a power. Right. It's an unequal power position being played out, but somehow that's okay. But it's not okay if you are, you know, uh, a teacher and someone is a student, both consenting to the roles. And I think it's really fascinating the way sometimes psychology will, will insert itself into society and culture and go, well, we've identified this as a real problem area and because they're looking for that confirmation bias as to why this doesn't work. And I'm sure you can find a million reasons why it does work. Like my wife and I, I met her at a teacher training. Right. She was a student. Now she's my partner and runs the business better than I do. Right. And if I... Where's the power? Where's the power? Yeah. And, and let's acknowledge. I mean, <clears throat> you know, we're a couple of privileged white dudes having this conversation. And I think there's a blender. <laughs> that's, that's the Vitamix God upstairs. God damn it. They're, they're chefing up there, getting our <laughs> yeah. lunch ready. Sorry, guys. Um, but, there, you know, there is definitely exploitation that happens. Well, you know, of, of there of are course. teachers sure. who are like, if you don't do this, you know, you're going to get a failing grade. I'm going to ruin yeah. your life. You know, there's a lot of nasty shit that happens. But it's a subtle conversation because power exists on so many different levels. I often think about this in these Hollywood situations where there's a 65 year old Hollywood executive and a 28 year old woman and they're sleeping together and they say, well, that's not ethical because he has so much power over her. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm thinking 25 year old woman has a lot of power, maybe not financial, but, but it, well, here's the argument. Doesn't she have all, I mean, ultimately the question is, doesn't she really have the power that counts? And I think that's the thing. When you start when you start divvying up who's got power in a in a chess match, I can have the same players. I can have I can have the same number of players on the board as you, but it's who my players are mm. that make the difference, not the number. So you've got 20 and I've got 20, but I've got, you know, I've got the queen still left and I've got my rook and and you've got a bunch of you know, pawns. Um, pawns. Yeah. I, and I think that that's the distinction. That's the nuance for me is that, oh, well, I have wealth. I have uh, the ability to get you this job. Well, and, and she has this thing that's great, that has motivated ships and wars and things, you know, in, in a way that that wealth and money just simply haven't been as potent in some way for me. Right. Well, I mean everyone's using the power they have in different ways. Sure. And so why is it unethical or downright illegal for a young person to say, uh, okay, I've got youth and attractiveness and cleverness and humor or whatever, 
and you've got a Porsche, access, a Porsche, <laughs> right. you've got a lot of money, you've got access to certain people I'd love to meet, right. a world I'd love to, to be introduced to. Yeah. And I'd love to be introduced to your pussy. Right. So I mean, why is that the, unethical? That's the exchange. Right. It, it's almost like, <clears throat> it's like we're, you know, um, prostitution is illegal. Well, who's mm-hmm. that hurting? Mm-hmm. It's kind of hurting women who would choose to use their sexuality to make a living. Mm-hmm. And yet we act as if we're doing them a favor. That is a very clever game for sure. And when you think about the fact that f- with, with, for me with power, I think that when a woman is stripped, when you try to take away her autonomy and her, and her, and her, it, it, I find it to be sort of an insult to her cognition, <laughs> to her, to her, to her ability to be, you know, a, a, a conscious being to say that she's not capable of making a decision for herself from her own, her own intelligence because this goes back to protecting her from herself because she's somehow, I mean, the implication is she's not as intelligent. She's not as capable. She's not as aware as soon as the sex is introduced to the situation. So in other words, any other circumstance, she's, she's allowed to be intelligent and capable, but not when a dick comes out. Right. Now she's dumb suddenly. Right. What the, what, how the fuck does that work? Yeah. It's the magical power of the penis. <laughs> it's like a magic wand. It just changes everything. Right. Oh, yeah. She's suddenly like, Oh my God, I don't know what, you know what I'm doing. I'm I like, can't think straight. Oh, I can't think I straight. I saw your shriveled up little dick there. It made me crazy. Yeah. But, but, but this woman might be, a fucking congressman. Yeah. I mean, th- th- right? You there? How 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 old is our youngest current congresswoman? Oh, AOC. <clears throat> these these young. We're not going to talk about having uh, sex with right, AOC, right, no, no. are we? Because I've definitely thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Here we go. Here we go, guys. It's about to get worse. <laughs> but 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 in all honesty, what what is it? Twenty four. 23 yeah, how did she's but i'm saying mid to late 20 she's old enough to make decisions yeah for the fucking country yeah that she represents a right. state but she can't. but if she were in graduate school sleeping with <laughs> right. her professor oh and, no oh, forget gotta, about that yeah. she's not capable right. of she of could have making. a pilot's license but she can't thank yeah. you yeah. what the fuck it's in, yeah. in and so it's fun to know that someone else lived through this because <laughs> it almost ruined my career i'm not gonna yeah. lie i'm not gonna pretend that I was not, you know, that, that people were like, bro, you're this, I got bad news for you. I think you've, you know, and I, you've I done had, it this time. Yeah. And I had one moment that I said, well, I need to start considering what I might do now. Like mm-hmm. I, I had that, I had a real moment. I remember it because you don't forget those kinds of moments. Yeah. And I was like, I wonder, okay, well, what would I do if this is all over? If my career as a teacher and if it's gone, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, I can paint houses pretty good. <laughs> I'm having this whole, you know, internal uh, thing of like, well, I, I like carpentry. I could, you know, I know for myself that no matter which, what direction I have to pivot, I, I'm very good at adaptation. That's, that's something that I'm completely confident. So like, okay, I'll, but then in the same thought process, I got pissed and I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Are you going to let these academic douchebags bully you into 
into being this this into being a quitter and being small and and, and going oh yeah you're right you know you guys are right I I you know I, I guess I was just out of my mind when I was you know thinking that you know adult you know women were intelligent enough to make and so I said fuck this and that's when I I, I wrote counter articles and I started just coming back hard on it but to bring us back did you have any allies in this yeah I had a lot of allies I had a lot of people who came out and would talk about and say things in support um, who, but, but they were always, you know, they were always just fans, you know, people who were supporters. They were Mm. never, I didn't have any academic. What about the guy who initially triggered the whole thing? Friend was his name? John Uh, Friend? John Friend. Well, no, he was obviously too, he was surviving. He, he, his career. Now here's what's interesting. His career in a way did get destroyed. He lost, he had created this thing called Anisari Yoga and it was a whole, large organization he had built he had staff i mean he, this thing had had grown and he did the exact opposite i did he started apologizing and trying to do this and and it made him look weak mm. bottom line it just made him look weak and people just and they fucking once he once they smelled that blood mm-hmm. done he yeah. was gone and so that's where he is and me i just so my reputation to this day exists like you'll google me and somebody go uh I'll have a student, it happens, it's almost, it's probably 50% of the population, they'll, they'll come here and they'll say, yeah, my husband or my dad or my mom Googled Budokan, and then you came up, they Google you and saw these articles and they sent them to me. And, and they, they, the students know because I'm super open about it. Right. And I, but the parent you know, can you imagine the parents like Googling sure. me? Teacher sleeps with his students. And you're like, hey, mom, I'm going to camp to spend with these folks. Um, and kids are running around naked and all that stuff. And, you know, I mean, our camp, our experience here is super liberal, obviously. I mean, I'm, I'm as you were, you and I were joking, Osho, Osho style. Like, I'm like, look, I don't have restrictions with these guys. These are adults. If they want to go and connect and play and have sex and smoke herb and, you know, eat psychedelics. I, I don't care as long as they show up for training, <laughs> be, be ready at, you know, nine, as you experienced this morning, we are on the deck meditating mm. at nine. Yeah. Um, we train and then we work out our personal ethics and issues and, and traumas together as well in group session every single day. Yeah. I, last night at dinner, uh, like we arrived just before dinner and so there's dinner and then we're hanging out after. And, um, I was struck by what you said earlier about me, that the, the wit is precognitive. Like you said things last night that cracked me up and I couldn't believe you said them out loud. And it was like, (laughs) I love this dude. Like this guy gets in as deep as I do. And and these are your students, and there was just this feeling of like anyone can say anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is so a very rare beautiful. thing. Yeah. It's really beautiful, especially yeah. among a lot of people who don't necessarily know each other. And that gets back to what I was saying earlier. There's this energy, this vibe here uh, that's very unusual. And then I was reading, uh, I was looking at your website, and I saw one of the things that you, you list there um, is radical honesty. Yeah. So that's... That's not just sort of a sideline. That's an explicit part of your approach to to yoga, to martial arts, yeah. to life, to the whole thing. Right? Yeah. Being like unapologetically, completely transparent. Like if that thought comes in my head, 
I'm going to say it and then it's up to you to figure out what to do with it. I'm not, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not here yeah. to handhold you through yeah. your filters and interpretations and biases. It's like, guys, everybody's got to grow the fuck up around here. So if somebody makes a joke that is politically incorrect in any shape or form, instead of focusing on what was said, you know, pay attention to who said it. Pay attention to the context, the intention, and understand that, you know, we are fully capable of being complex individuals who in one moment can see something that is incredibly tragic as comical at some point. And if we don't, we're going to fucking die anyway. Because mm. I, I look at, I look at, you know, I have a student and we talked about this and And I told you this story, but I want to say it again because it may be beneficial to somebody else. But one of our girls who was affected, she had been sexually molested as a a young girl, is a part of the gymnastics Larry Nassar thing. And, And I was explaining to you that her big breakthrough came when she was during a session and she was explaining that she was, everybody had been, really disappointed and sort of in a way shaming her for not being pissed at this dude and wanting him to fucking burn in hell and all that business. And she was like, you know, I kind of love him as a person. I, you know, I'm not in love with him, but he, he made a big difference for me in my life. He was a good, he, he treated me very well. And at the same time, he also did those things, um, to me. And I'm really confused about why I don't feel hate for him. Mm. And I said, you know, babe, you don't have to hate him. This is a complex matter. Sexuality is complex. And we went through that whole, we played yeah. that. We, you know, we unpacked and talked about, you know, many things. And one of them was what happened to him? What happened to him as a kid? Right. And her, she just was able to just have, as you can imagine, um, she was just able to see him as a human being. And not as the monster that, of course, would have fit the convenient narrative for everybody else who was, you know, so horrified. By by the way, motherfuckers, this wasn't even your experience. You're not even the victim, quote unquote, here. But you want her to channel your shit. And I'm like, and I told her, I said, girl, just you can let that go. And she had a fucking breakthrough. Mm. And everybody was like, fuck. I mean, it was such a moment. She even joked. You know, she's she even started a, being able to joke about it. Mm. Like she was like, you know, I mean, she's been in therapy. She's done the whole thing. You know, they paid for all that. You know, they, I mean, you know, the the, the uh, lawsuits, the settlements, the money. It, it, this is years of all that stuff. Yeah. But her ability to come here and actually have a place where everybody was like, you know, it's okay. You don't have to harbor hate uh, because we're all kind of fucked up. And in some way, and it comes out in different expressions. And unfortunately, that was his. And can you can you see that? Can you hold space for that? And can you also can you know, can you see what he did? And can you acknowledge that it was obviously um, not okay because it wasn't consensual? Right. And you get that. And can you also see that he's a damaged human being, and that like you and me and the rest of us? Yeah. And and it was a big break. But my point to you was her ability to start joking about it was so powerful because she then owned it. She was like, and and then I had another kid 
His dad was super trippy. His dad went through a gender um, a, a re um, a reassignment. Reassignment. And he, you know, he came here. He was so fucking angry and so. Fu- I mean, he's just fuck this and my dad and he's not a man. He's not a father. <laughs> and I was like, okay, we got some work. But eventually got him to really fall back in love with his dad and have this, you know, this reconnection. Then we were practicing yoga all together. And and he went from a guy who didn't even want to talk about his dad, so much anger about his dad, to able to talk about him loving his dad. And he called his dad and had this beautiful connection. But we're practicing yoga. And I go, okay, everybody, I want you to get up on the balls of your feet uh, like you're in high heels. And I said to the boys, I said, you know what I'm talking about? And Ben goes, well, my dad certainly does. (laughs) And it was a fucking, and he laughed and we all laughed and everybody fucking just had a moment. (laughs) We cheered him. We were like, fucking A, Ben. Beautiful, brother. Like you can now laugh about that and love your dad and support him Mm -hmm. because he called him on Father's Day and he's like, dad. I don't know how to, what to call you. I don't know how to talk to you. It's Father's Day and you're now my mom somehow. Like you, you want to be called a female. And his dad goes, son, you'll always be my son. I'll always be your father. Mm. Oh, fuck. It was fucking so beautiful that yeah. he had that moment with his dad. Yeah. Because he had, you know, he had, the, you know, the stories. You know how it goes. That's one of the. You know, I, I'm not real thrilled about being Irish in the sense that... I'm uh, Irish. Right. <laughs> no wonder. This explains it. We're it's irreverent motherfuckers for exactly. everything. Oh, my God. Well, it's, you know, this. Uh, my pale skin sucks. And, you know, there are a lot of things about Irish culture that I don't love. Yeah. But what I do love about it is the recognition that humor and wisdom are aligned. Yeah. You know, if you can't laugh about it, you haven't conquered it. Now that, that's it. If you haven't laughed about it, you haven't conquered it. Yeah. Can I borrow that? Oh, you're going to have it. I yeah. fucking love that. that <laughs> no, but that's it. That, yeah. That's it. You nailed it. That's it's, it. If I can't laugh about And that's why I love guys like Dave Chappelle. Yeah. And yeah. Joe. Yeah. They, they figure, they, they get it. They yeah. fucking get it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, and, and expanding out from, from Ireland, I've got a lot of problems with American culture, obviously, but I don't know any country in the world that has a better sense of comedy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, Spanish comedy is just dumb. <laughs> it's just like dressing up funny and falling over. Okay, it's right. not, there's, there's like no. Slapstick. Slapstick. Yeah, yeah. yeah, slapstick. There's no. I mean, French. Yeah, I mean, who, who yeah. would name a French comedian? You know? No. Like, come on. I can't name much of anything that comes out of there except for, you know, <laughs> cheese. Bureaucracy and yeah, the menage a trois. I don't know. Hey, there you go. That's, that's, that's what they did a couple things right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, I mean, we, we're, it, we can talk about a million different things, but yeah. I, I did want to sort of get a sense of your life and your career like how does a person become a movement teacher and a martial yeah. arts expert and because yeah. like yoga and martial arts i see them as you know coming from the same place in some mm-hmm. ways culturally you know mysterious mm-hmm. east or whatever mm-hmm. um but they're very different right i mean jujitsu is very practical self-defense mm-hmm. no nonsense uh Whereas yoga is much more about seeking peace and tranquility Mm -hmm. and, you know, are they two versions of the same thing or are you taking two very different things and bringing them into some sort of alignment yourself? 
Yeah, they what, seem they, they, they seem from a from a distance they seem very much like contradictory to mm. one another because as you said, one seems like violence and one seems like peace and they seem like a, a really different pursuit. And the way that I explain that to people who come to the work is that you know within each person there is there's an instinctual or in some type of um and possibly instinct is the right word it could be uh, intuitive i'm not sure which the, the, the nuance there for this particular application but there's something inside each person that seeks peace and then there's something inside each person that seeks or can at least display and utilize violence as a tool because it's like hey that's mine or hey i need to protect these my, my children i need mm-hmm. to protect my my so nature has clearly gifted us with violence that's there's you can't deny it and and if if it didn't gift us with violence uh no species obviously could protect itself so there's this when we think of violence humans typically reduce that to uh, some image of ISIS rolling in and murdering and raping. But I think of violence as the ability to exert force and power with my, you know, my mind, my words, my physical body in order to reclaim space. Mm. And that's a really simple way of sort of thinking. I, I need to reclaim space. You've, you've invaded my space. And I need to reclaim space somehow. And it might take, it might take a little nudge. It might take my foot in your face. It might take, uh, you know, a push, a word, a tone change, a facial expression. But that's all violence in some way. Right. So we all have that gift, and I consider it a gift from nature. And then I look at the gift of peace, which is that that that. that wanting to always recover from the chaos because violence is chaotic. Mm. It's it, there's a certain out of controlness to it that you as a martial artist work to control as much as possible. And then you, you look at yoga, which is sort of how I'm interpreting peaceful, peaceful pursuit. I'm using that as the tool, the ve- the vessel, and you say, okay, I'm going to sit. And, and for me, yoga is not postural work. It's meditation. It's the it's seated work of self-observation and analysis and say, who am I? What am I? Why am I? That's how I understand yoga. I could have called mm. it meditation, mm. but it's got, I include our asana or postural practice with it. So yoga is a bit better of a full descriptor than just meditation. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'll say yoga, martial arts meet each other. Uh, So because we're naturally inclined towards our, our center of gravity is stillness. I think that's, I make that up, but I see humans as naturally inclined towards that center of in the best word. Cause if you call it happy, that's an emotion Mm -hmm. and that comes and goes. But if you call tranquility, That which is how I refer to it. I, I just want to get to that tranquil state where everything is just in the isness. That moment, which I I find from meditation, is the best way to experience it. That isness is for me where I always want to return to from the chaos of excitement and you know pleasure and all that stuff. Uh, because isness is sort of, in a way, just empty of all that. It's just, you know, the stillness. So I think of the violence as 
the earth when it's got something chaotic like a, a storm occurring and then I think how every the wind dies down and everything returns back to the stillness so it's like yoga to martial arts and martial arts back to yoga it's like the center of a, the eye of a hurricane yeah it's a bizarre stillness and that's what a high level martial artist is always seeking is that zen stillness within that chaos right. so that when you watch this person you're like how are they not troubled yeah. <laughs> why are they so calm this guy's punching this guy's face you know UFC just, just like MMA style fighting you know this person's in dire they're in a position that the average human being would say oh my god that person is being murdered yeah. And to see that and see a look on that person's face like they're in a chess match. They're problem solving in that moment. Mm-hmm. There's a stillness and a calmness. Mm-hmm. They're not like, they're not, you know, they're not angry. They're right. not raging. They're literally looking like they're, they're in the midst of some right. task. Well, it's like Alex Honnold hanging from a 2,000 foot <laughs> cliff. Most of us would just totally freak oh, out. Oh. And he's just like chill he's in the zone he's focused yeah. by the way that's the vitamix again don't don't yeah, uh, just in case you hear that vitamix yeah don't worry about your equipment <laughs> yeah we'll tell you about lunch later because it's gonna it, <laughs> it's, I'm a, it's gonna be some good hummus so, so, and what yeah, yeah it's pretty liquid yeah <laughs> we're down because we're down because we we have this the budokan house has a downstairs dojo which is what chris and i are in and it's uh, above us is the kitchen, and we thought this was genius, didn't yeah. we? We were like, nothing yeah. oh, can disturb us. Quiet. Nothing can get us here, yeah. except yeah. the Vitamix. People, people are used to the background noise in this podcast. Well, especially with you traveling right now it's and raw. doing them out in yeah. different environments. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, I like that. I'm, I, I I did a lot of remote stuff during COVID, and it's like no, it's so much better to hang out. Yeah, you rolled up just so that people can, you know, just so you can see what I saw. This guy comes up on the in his in Scarlett Johansson in his in his van and, and his giant bone on the front, and she's all red and and cool. It was so much fun to see. Yeah, that's a bison travel. bone. Some friends gave to us. They were at a bison ranch. Super cool. I don't even know how you mounted that onto the zip ties, baby. That's it. You can do anything. Anything zip, with zip the zip ties. ties. Zip ties and duct tape. Yeah, my dog literally. My dog jumps oh, up on the hood right. of the car and it's is like, like "That is exactly what I want." It's like, "No, bull. get down, you fucker! Get off that it's car!" A big dog. He's a big boy. Um, okay, so wait. Let's let's try. Okay, sorry, I'm trying to impose yeah. a little structure here, I know, man. God damn Just it. a little. Two Irish guys. You uh, impossible. You know, I I. Uh, it's funny. Like I keep wanting to talk about like. You know, I studied Kung Fu when I was a kid. or I, And it's just, it's silly. It's like, you know, it's like telling an opera singer I sing in the shower or something. It's like, it's like, yeah, yeah. Like, let me, okay, kid. Well, sure. no, but, but I heard, I heard you uh, talk about that experience on a podcast once. With Rogan, probably. Yeah. You talk about a little bit about your background with that. Yeah. Or my teacher killed his father. Yes, yeah. that's right. That was a crazy thing. Yeah, so my experience with martial arts was weird because, you know, I was a typical, like, kid who got bullied in school and mm-hmm. felt vulnerable and scared and Me all too. that. Yep, totally relate. Yep. And, uh, you know, and I'm probably 10 years older than you or mm-hmm. something. Um, but when I was a kid, Kung Fu was a big show on uh, TV 100%. with David Carradine. Oh, yeah, yeah. I fucking loved it. And, I mean, I was very into the, the sort of American Indian thing. And then this sort of like, it, it aligned with the silence mm-hmm. and the respect and the 
there, there's like a, a physical courage of not complaining mm-hmm. and withstanding pain and, and mm-hmm. like getting through it and a very sort of centered quality that seems to be common to a lot of American Indian culture. Like the Apaches were fucking ninjas, you know. Well, it also took place in the West. So it, it yeah. borrowed from that, yeah. too. Well, that was the beauty of the show. Yeah. But anyway, I would go to my Kung Fu class and then come home and watch that show. And I was super into it. And then, you know, he killed his father. It was this fucking shit, shit show. Um, and then I was sort of in denial of it for mm. a while. Mm. And then I moved to a new, a different state and I did some Taekwondo, broke my hand in no time because I was used to open hand techniques mm-hmm. and suddenly you were doing closed fist blocks and I did one with my hand open and broke, mm-hmm. you know, easy to break that. Yeah. Broke easy. my fingers and, and the what are the metacarpals. Metacarpal. Or, yep. And, um, so then I, I just stepped away from it. Um, and also I was feeling, I, I mentioned this to you yesterday. I, I had a lot of violence in my mind. I mm-hmm. spent a lot of time thinking about, how I would react to this attack or that attack. Mm-hmm. I felt it with chess too. I played chess for a mm-hmm. while and I, I got kind of into it and then I couldn't sleep because I would mm-hmm. just like imagine like, okay, he moves the rook there and then he does this. What do I, I'm going to do this mm-hmm. and I'm going to do that. And it was like that with the martial arts too. It's like, okay, choke from behind. I do this, mm-hmm. you know, attack here. He's got a knife. I do that. And I just, I was like, I don't want to be wrapped up in all this mm-hmm. conflict all the time, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So I stepped away from it for a long I time. I left chess. I, I had to leave my two favorite loves, martial arts and chess. I left them behind. <laughs> left them behind, yeah. man. Too, it was too much anxiety. Um, well, okay, but do you think that's connected? Because that's interesting um, insertion point for me for a question. of it, it, you, There's something about winning, something about competing mm. for you that's important because of the... The amount of what that triggers for you. Uh, yeah, and I think you're right. And I think a lot of my life is like any time something feels like it's pulling me into a current, I step out. Mm. I, I get out before I get caught in the undertow. Um, but what I was going to say is when I was in my 30s, maybe, maybe even 40s, I, I studied Aikido for a while. Mm-hmm. Fucking love that. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. I really enjoyed that. And I think it's because of the non-competitive nature of it. And I see some of it here. I don't know shit about jujitsu, but talking to some of the, the students here last night, I could relate because my experience of Aikido was very much like you need your partner to mm-hmm. learn and your partner's generosity toward you is involves pushing you far enough that you can feel the power of the the move mm-hmm. but not far enough to hurt you mm-hmm. and there's so there's a lot of trust there and it seems very metaphorical for other aspects of life other relationships mm-hmm. like you were saying you know my job is not to shape what I say to your vulnerabilities, my job is to say what's true for me. Mm-hmm. And then you are going to learn from that, mm-hmm. hopefully. Mm-hmm. Right. And I feel like there, there's some alignment there. I don't know where I was going. Well, with, with Aikido, which is interesting about the art, you know, it started off as a very tough because it's it, it comes 
from sort of, it stems from sort of the judo and, and that, 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 you know, which is why, you know, every, it, it comes out of the, 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 the samurai practice, which all of them do, mm-hmm. you know, the, the judo and the karate and the, the aikido. So they all kind of come from this one origin point, mm-hmm. which is the samurai. Right. Which is uh, very clearly the art of killing or surviving, you know, being attacked and in and, 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 and the most realistic, absolute way. I mean, you know, when, when you think about samurai, it's not there's no tough talk. These guys were going out and knowing they were going to die or were dying. And it was just common. And that was just the understanding of there was there was an acceptance of I will probably die you know, before I grow old and that's just how this goes. And it's a good death if I die on the battlefield in doing what I do, because they'd adopted, uh, Shinto Buddhism as their official practice. And so you'll see some of the common symbology on Shinto, um, artifacts and, and which is this, the Tomoe. So the Tomoe is a three, is three symbols and it means, the element, three elements of creation sort of in harmony with one another, mm. the earth, heavens, and, and beings kind of moving together. So this became a very common symbol with uh, Shintoism. Also with, uh, you saw it on the god of war, the, the Japanese god of war. I forget how to pronounce that, the name. Uh, you also see it on the big uh, drums, the Kaido drums. Mm. Boom. Um, so you'll see that showing up. So from that, culture and Jap and, and as you know about you know this uh, I'm sure about Japan is it it's a very insulated culture even to this day you know this was one of the few places where um, you know missionaries Christian missionaries showed up and they fucking killed them like yeah. they were like you're not well they were nice at first you're not welcome we we see this different they have a term in Japanese which is um uh, chigao chigao means different they won't tell you you're wrong and i'm right <laughs> they will say we're different yeah. they'll say oh chigao chigao yeah. and you don't fuck with that we're different uh, you don't tell you know i'm not going to so when the missionaries showed up trying to propagate you know and postulize and convert they were like we're different and when they wouldn't get it then they finally started killing them so the way they roll there when it comes the mentality, the cultural mentality around violence and around dealing with violence in that way is really, it's very, it's very final. Mm. It's very straightforward. They're very direct people. It's like, and, and, and they're also very indirect, you know, in their own way too. So it's like that you won't quite ever know what they really think, but then, you know, a yes is a yes and a no is a no. Right. And anything between that, which is like, hmm, is not clear yet. So anything that comes out of it, like Aikido, is still coming out of that cultural shaping, you know, if you will. So um, Uishiba, who was the creator of, you know, of, of this art form, he started off as a really tough guy, as a fighter, and he did all this work. And then as he got older... He just started becoming super, super philosophical mm. to the point that his students would start complaining that while, because you watched Shanji teaching, you know, you walked in, you saw he's teaching class. Imagine if he just stood up and went on like a, you know, 30 to 40 minute, maybe an hour long diatribe on peace. 
and in the students are trying to figure out, okay, where do you want my foot to be? This is very Japanese. Do you want my foot at, you know, 12 o'clock? Do you want it, you know, 11? They're very specific. So they want detail of technique. And he's talking about peace and love and philosophy. And they're like, what the fuck are we doing? And and he got quite famous. It was very well known. And the students would just get frustrated. But he eventually just didn't even want to talk about physical contact fighting anymore. And all he wanted to talk about was how you would take your opponent and harmoniously work with their body and take them to the ground and protect them. Yeah. Cradle their head <laughs> right. as, as yes. they fall. Yeah. Right. Who the fuck does that? Yeah. <laughs> and so this was his mentality. But it, it's so applicable to life. That That's what I loved about it. And you reminded me when you were talking about finding that center of the hurricane and, you know, that stillness and that, that, because it, my experience of Aikido was, was always about don't lose that stillness. Mm-hmm. Don't lose that centeredness. Mm-hmm. So if, if someone's coming in, right. the story I heard was that it was sort of developed as a way to defend against someone with a sword mm-hmm. when you don't have a sword. Mm-hmm. So you're never going to block the sword with your arm, right? right? You get the fuck out of the way of the sword. Mm-hmm. And, and there's something really beautiful about that because... You know, it feels like so much of, of the way we're trained in the West is confrontational. Mm-hmm. And that was like, no, you can win by intelligently avoiding the confrontation. Mm-hmm. He wants that space. Step aside. Let him have that space. Mm-hmm. His So, I, you know, I've in my own very sort of uh, silly way, I use those principles a lot. For example, when. When I give um, a public presentation and there's the Q&A afterwards. Mm-hmm. And there's always that guy. There's always that guy. Of course there, yeah. Of you course know? And, and it's always Mr. a guy, Mr. Too. Ryan, uh, do you... He, like, he poses a question, but it's a statement. It's, and it's like 20 minutes yeah, long. aren't you an asshole? And what do you think <laughs> exactly. about that? Exactly. People say you're an asshole. What you're, is your response? What's your... <laughs> You're like, are you joking right yeah. now? Well, that's but, why they wear the hakima, so by the way. What's that, that? That black, that black long, uh, what looks like the dress in Japan for uh-huh. the men is called the hakima. Yeah. So you can't see the feet. So the feet can move without me identifying uh, where you're stepping and right. moving. So in kendo, I have the sword. So I come at you, but I can't see your feet. So there's all this clever sort of espionage happening mm. in, in, in this. Uh, so you can't anticipate yeah. how he's going to move. Yeah, it's really yeah. interesting. So, yeah. But to, to your point, that there's, there's, you're, using it, you're using its principles, and you're just finding out where they intersect with something outside of physical contact to self-defense. Right. And, but, but yet it's still self-defense when you're, when you're being attacked by someone intellectually, what's the difference? There is none. Especially if you're standing on stage in front of 500 people. Yeah. It's pretty, and he's clearly trying to kill you. He is, he, he <laughs> but, but that's the thing he is. And what I find so disturbing is how comfortable people are trying to fucking kill each other these days, especially in front of other people, the lack of concern that people have now with damaging another person, possibly, you know, permanently, mm. is so far away from the way that I think of yeah. fighting. Because in jujitsu, which is again also derived from its origin of samurai culture, the idea is to basically control you. I don't have to punch you or kick you. 
I have to get you in control. I can choke you to unconsciousness, which by the way, does not harm you, right. but I can put you to sleep, neutralize you. Yeah. I can, I can get by, I can do anything. It's, it's the most peaceful concept, even in, in, and I say this, maybe I'm right or wrong here. I don't know, but I would even say it's even more peaceful than Aikido because in Aikido, sometimes you have to throw a motherfucker and you get thrown. I mean, you hit yeah. the ground. You better learn to be a good uke. You better learn to fall. Right. But in jujitsu, I can climb on top of you, get in the mount, bring your arm around you, take you to the back, but you know, and go, hey, you want to stop now? Right. And never inflict any physical harm mm. on you at times. And I'm just saying, because it's wrestling. And when people ask me why jujitsu, I say it's very simple. The earliest form of movement and a movement pattern in a human being, in a hope sapien, for us is, and we talked about this last night, is to defend myself against being eaten or to capture and eat. So as a homo sapien, I'm born to locomote across the ground, to crawl, then walk and run and climb, to get places, and then I'm trying to get to food or get away from being food. And so, so wrestling ultimately becomes one of my first intuitive or instinctual languages. Mm. And to not examine that, to never, that'd be like saying, and again, I don't think this is wrong. I just, I want to, <laughs> in case, you know, we get uh, emails for a woman to never have a child is something that is just, you know, it, it's, it's, there's a part of the female's biology that gets triggered and changed with childbearing that is undeniable. It's scientifically, you know, of course, factual. Now, that doesn't mean that a woman can't experience the joy and love of mothering and parenting a child that's not even hers. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about the biological experience of birthing and carrying and all that and how it shifts and, you know, works in so many ways to sort of... Um, how the body adapts to needing to carry another human and build another human and then birth that human through this space that really should not do that in, in so many ways. But it's fascinating. And I, it's the same thing I say to not experiencing martial arts. You're born to be in a fighter. You're born, you're born to survive mm. being eaten or to capture. Yeah. To, to, to never tap into that, to never experience that, I, I, I think people don't know that they don't know what they don't know they don't know. Right. So much there. Yeah. There's so much that we don't know we don't know. Right? <laughs> so Because you know what you know, know what you don't know. Yeah. But, but people who don't, they don't even know they don't know that. And yet there is some indistinct but urgent yearning for what's missing. Yeah. You know, I feel like so much of the, you know, modern malaise or, or, or the, you know, the epidemic uh, of depression and anxiety disorders that is growing and growing and growing mm -hmm. all over the world is because of this is because we have appetites for things we don't even know we have appetites for. Mm -hmm. It's like if you take mm -hmm. a, you know, you mm -hmm. take a chimpanzee and put them in a big open lots of space, mm -hmm. but no trees, mm -hmm. right? And this chimpanzee's never seen a tree, mm -hmm. 
but there's something missing. He right. knows it, and right. he's really unhappy, and yeah. he doesn't know there's why. There's some anxiety like, that, that's there's, there. There's nothing to climb, but he doesn't even know what climbing is, but yeah. he was made to climb, and he doesn't know it. I feel uh, like that's yeah. where we are in so many ways. Yes, 100%. You know, you're right. We're made to to find food. We're, we're made to, to, I mean, killing. You know, we're mm-hmm. all eating meat. The killing's happening. Nobody wants to kill, but yeah. we're not doing it, and we don't think of ourselves as killers. But we sit down and have a quarter pounder, and all day long, killing happened. But we don't want to hear about it. We don't want to be involved in it. And yet, and I'm not glorifying killing. Obviously, what I'm trying to say is we we have lost a connection to our food. We've lost a connection to death. We've lost a connection to you so know, much. And someone might argue, oh well, well. You know, we're less violent. Uh, we don't now that we don't, you know, kill our food. And I'd say, is that is that actually true? You know, is it is actually mechanized violence less violent? <laughs> right. It's like in like, that case, the Nazis were actually great guys. Yeah. Right? It's like it's there's no it, it makes that argument just falls apart, given the fact that if we actually had to kill our own food and have that moment with that animal. Yeah. And 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 just that, just that appreciation. I mean, I think you you remember this because so many people do. There was that beautiful moment in Avatar where they're hunting the the, the James Cameron. Sure, you know, yeah, that I moment. saw it in three D. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was great at movie. the time. Do you remember at the time how epic that was? It was awesome. At the time, you were like, yeah. "What is this?" It was so yeah. beautiful. And it's all it's all. I mean, the way I saw it was it's about hunter-gatherers versus... 100%. Without a doubt. Yeah. But, that, but that moment, they did a beautiful job of showing her, you know, kill mm-hmm. and how she said to him, no, 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 it's, it's, this is a privilege. This, and, and I was like, fuck, man, why does it take a cartoon? You know, why, why an anime? Why can't we get how profound this is that we are completely insulated from everything that makes us an animal and we have this arrogance about us that we somehow have the right to opt out of everything every other animal has to experience right we're above it all somehow it's like i don't want to be above it all i want to be in it yeah right And, and that's so frightening for us because in it as you've described in your book so many times in it means that we're savages and we're dirty and we're we're brutal and it's like Ah, no, right. You know, you've done enough work. You're like, nope, that's actually inaccurate. Yeah, no. You call that the Flintstone. The Flintstoneization. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, again, how the fuck did you become you? I mean, (laughs) well, okay, so going back to your your, uh, brief version, yeah. You were Charlie Shane's bodyguard. Yeah. Like, that is a weird fucking thing to have on your resume, dude. It is a weird thing. He know. didn't. He, he never got hurt. No. You protected him <laughs> from everyone but himself. But himself, exactly. <laughs> Couldn't protect him from himself. Well, you know, it was, it, just to, just the brief the brief journey on this was, like you as a kid, found martial arts, fell in love with it because I thought the same thing you did. I thought these are the real heroes. Superman. I didn't give a fuck about Superman. Superman's not real, but that dude that just fought. 200 guys with the iron shirt, <laughs> turned his chest into an iron shirt because he trained, you know, with spear, you know, building his muscles and he could jump on a house. All this cool shit Kung Fu could right. do through right. the, because of the mind. Yeah. That I said, that's real. Right. So I never cared about cartoon characters, I, but I did 
um, fine martial arts for the same reason you did bullied uh, a lot as a kid because you know when you're intellectual and you're complex and you're rich as a kid you're gonna get fucked with yeah period you're a target you're a target and so i was like all right give me some you know get what can i do in martial arts you could see these guys aren't targets these guys can overcome all that so I, i for the same reason started training you know, eventually then moved to, you know, kept training and then sort of found little moments. Um, do you remember Carrot Top, the comedian? Yeah. We were both from Charlotte. So uh, found the opportunity to be his security and personal trainer. That was my first gig. Wow. Yeah. Well, well it was it was interesting because through him that I met a guy uh, named Laurent Ellis. Now, are you ready how this connects us to those Cutco knives upstairs? Fucking, bro, can you believe I got us back here? Because I said, we're going to tell this story and I fucking got us here. Is this nice. is crazy. So, so he was a professional basketball player for the Charlotte Hornets, uh-huh. right? You know, big NBA team. My friend, Chris's dad owns the Hornets at the time. Now that the New Orleans, you know, Hornets, whatever. So I start training him you know, he's you know, up and coming NBA basketball, like star, he's, you know, killing it. And this is a quick side story for Cutco knives. Cause Chris noticed I had a set of Cutco knives, which I've had now for coming up on, it's gotta be like 15 years. So Laurent is what he's six foot 11. He's a really special, his father was on the Lakers. He won two championship ring. He's, you know, big time. So he's naturally, following in the footsteps, but he fucking hates basketball. Mm-hmm. He hates basketball. He wants to, he likes playing music. He likes doing everything, but he doesn't want to be a basketball player. I'm like, brother, you know, you're six foot 11. You're an athlete. I mean, this is, you know, it's where, and, and he's not talented at anything else at that, at that level. Yeah. And he couldn't, cause I tell this to my students all the time. They come in and they're like, how do you find your purpose? How did you find your purpose? I go, guys, God damn it. Listen to me carefully. <laughs> purpose is invented. No one's born to be, you know, Gandhi or to be Mother Teresa or to be Jesus. You make that decision at some point, like any other conscious, cognitive human goes, I'm going to do this. And by the way, we, re- we renegotiate that 10 times either. By the way, Gandhi was a fucking lawyer first. But then he becomes a saint. How do you, you know, how do you renegotiate that lawyer to saint? What a shit show, <clears throat> you know, talk about contradiction. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when I, when I say you, you purpose is you invent purpose, stop trying to wait for the stork to drop it down mm. in your lap. So I said, you know, to, to Laurent, I'm like, you have something that a million, that is one in a million, one in 10 gazillion, whatever you got to do it. But he never could get around to accepting that that's the thing. So he didn't love it. And when you don't love something, you don't become great at it. Mm-hmm. He did not become great. And eventually went from the NBA to one of those European teams to not having a job at all. He was working as a bouncer in a strip club for a minute. This guy, again, goes from a fucking amazing career. And then the last time I saw him, he calls me, he says, hey, can I, can I come over and visit you? I'm, in, I'm living in Malibu in, in L.A. And he comes over and he ha- is selling Cutco knives. 
He's an NBA player. And now he's selling, he's coming to his friends like a, like a college kid would go to your uncle. Yeah. Can I sell Cuckoo Knives? And goddamn, the knives are good. Don't get me wrong. Because you and I both agreed on that. But to see this this narrative, this sort of storyline, I was like, the, the thing I took away from that, like it taught me something very important, which was what I keep passing on to these guys is you you choose your purpose, you double down on what you're what you're just you happen to be talented at. You don't get I don't care if you want to be Bob Dylan, if you can't write a good song and you can't sing worth a shit, even though Bob Dylan pulled that off. But you, I mean to be right, let's be honest. You know, Neil Young and Bob Dylan are the poster children for you can make it even if you can't even sing. You sing. Even if you can't sing. That's but you gotta funny. write a goddamn good song. Yeah. Like yeah. a really good song. Yeah. And so 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 get the so stop Stop, you know, because they're like, well, how do you know? I'm like, people tell you what you're good at. They tell you. Mm. You get feedback since you're a kid. You're funny. How many times do you think Dave Chappelle heard you're funny mm-hmm. before he thought I could be a comedian? He heard it. It wasn't his first time on stage getting yeah. applauded. Right. And this is the thing that I, I find with, with the lost kids out there these days. They're so lost because they keep thinking that it's just going to, they're going to have this revel, revelatory moment that goes, that's it. I'm going you know, to be an astronaut. It's like, yeah, but are you capable of, do you know what they, <laughs> yeah. can you do that? Yeah. You feel me on this? Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Is meaning discovered or is meaning decided? I see, and I go with the decided. Yeah. But personally. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that's right, um, but I'm, I lean in Although, that direction. But, but you're also saying you get the indications by the way other people react to you. So there's a discovery or, process. Yeah, yeah, or the way you... what transports you to another realm what yeah like some people are just like hey i love dancing yeah no, nothing makes me happier yeah. than dancing and other people are like me like nothing makes me more uncomfortable than trying to dance you know? <laughs> like i'm not gonna be a dancer right, right? yeah yeah it's an interesting question and, and you're right it, it's it's an urgent question for so many of the mm. people who are listening to this podcast there you know i get these emails like i'm in this relationship i love him but not like, I don't think I want to spend the rest of my life with them. So no. what do I do? Or I'm in this job and it's like it pays the rent and they tell me I'm pretty good at it, but I fucking hate it. It happens here a lot, too. These guys come here and they're like, I'm in a marriage and they go home, they get divorced. I mean, shit, you know, real shit goes down because they get clear. Yeah. And to your point, it's like, hey, guys, you know, there is there it, because there's a thing that you and I can't describe with words. We can't, there's no intellectual formula to explain why something just isn't there. Yeah. Like you said about the ape without the trees, you can't, there's no way to necessarily explain something that's missing. And you just have this anxiety and you're like, all I can say is I just, feel like something's not right that's the best we do with it fucking saddest song of all time in, in my opinion is that song you've lost that love and feeling and, and mine is is for the sadness is bonnie rates you can't make me i can't make you love me if, if you, you won't don't. yeah yeah same thing that it's, song it's crushes like, me yeah yeah 
I mean, it's, what's your favorite Bob Seger song? God damn. Cause we were talking about Bob last night. I think it's night moves. Dude. He's talking about the young girl Dude. and he's like, we're young. I, I, that's on my phone. I listen to it in the van sometimes. Every time I listen to it, it's just so, it's a really interesting song too, yeah. because he says he's starting off. It's, Back in uh, nineteen, in back in my sixty Chevrolet, right? Yeah. So it's, it's it's happening in nineteen sixty two, which is right. the year I was born, and he's talking about um, having sex and and discovering sex for the first time yeah. with this girl, yeah, dark haired beauty with clear dark eyes and yeah. points on their own, sitting yeah. way up high, and uh, they're out in the woods. They're out where the corn got heavy, out in the back seat of my 60 Chevy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And but I, we didn't love each other. That's it. We didn't love that's each other. It. It's not a love song. No, it's I not. I used her, she used me, but neither one cared. We yes. did not share. Yes. yes. Working on the night moves, trying to lose that awkward teenage blues. Yeah. Working on the, and it's this really interesting song about exploration and and sexuality but not a love song but it's romantic it is it's romantic. and it's very nostalgic right yeah. because he's looking back on it yeah. and he and and with a fondness and a love like somehow his love is he loves her in some way because she represents something that but he's not life. in right but he's not in love with her it was summertime yeah it was the summertime of his life. Yeah. And then at the end of it, he's saying, isn't it funny how the night moves when you just don't have, seem to have yeah. so much to lose? And it's strange how the night moves with autumn closing in. Right. And then there's loss. Yeah. And then there's this sadness to yeah. it. Yeah. Because he's an old man now remembering yeah. what it was like. Started humming a song from 1962. Yeah. It's, it's I think a it affects song. you and I uh, very similar because at the age that we're at, getting more and more nostalgic, looking back. Yeah, well, eat. more of your life is behind you. Yeah. you, you it's unavoidable. And yeah. I think about that a lot. I'm, I'm going to turn 60 this uh, next round. I turn 50, yeah. yeah. There we are. Yeah, it's, it's just interesting. I mean, I feel uh, untethered from time in some ways because yeah. I don't have kids. Yeah. So I don't see them growing up, you yeah. know. Um, Your mom. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. That's probably the only place you, know, you have an anchor point for, for time. Well, I mean, not, you know, like David Bowie's dead. Prince is dead. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? Yeah. Uh, they're younger. Yeah. Or Prince, anyways, younger than me. Or, you know, yeah. it's like. Yeah, so it's just more of your world has gone over the waterfall as you get older and you you just sort of see it that way, which Things, isn't necessarily bad. No, it's, I feel like we're having the richest time. I, I'll be honest, I, I feel that this is, I do have nostalgia for the past because of the innocence, the innocence lost in that, in this sense of you'll never feel that way again kind of feeling that you feel when something is a first time for you or yeah. a first few times. But the way I enjoy something now is quite different. Right. And that's a richness that's actually unique in itself too. Yeah, for sure. Because you bring so much more to the experience. Yeah. You don't have that purity that you had then, but you know, innocence and stupidity are pretty, 
<laughs> or ignorant. Do you remember when I'm talking to Diego and we're sitting there at the dinner table? The young boy is yeah, 20, yeah. and we're and I'm like, so Diego, you know, what do you, what's your how many girls you've been with? He's like, well, I've been with two women. Yeah. They're both older, and and I'm living through. I yeah. love these kids because I'm living that that through him, and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, and I'm I'm having that nostalgic moment with him, right. and I do that a lot with these guys. I enjoy. Their their just their beautiful naivete and they're they're just I'm gonna change the world and I'm gonna do this and I, I'm like oh fuck I love you man yeah. keep keep and I tell them I was like which is hard because you and I and again this is why I think we're we're gonna be such good friends and is because we're alike and and when I say to people because people don't understand likeness when I say I, I'm I like someone it means we're a we're alike, mm. so there's a likeness. That's even the interest. That's the word. I right. like you. Right. I'm like you, and so it's what's interesting is you and I. We have all these. We have all these beautiful young people around us, and we just get to enjoy yeah. watching them. <laughs> try not to embitter them. Yeah, and try <laughs> and we try not to fuck them over, <laughs> fuck them up in the head because we're like, listen, <laughs> it kind of really looks like this. Yeah. So when I'm when I'm eating when I'm eating mushrooms, that's usually the time that I'll sit down with them and I'll be like, and I'll have those moments where you can have a real like, here it is. But also you gotta you gotta keep loving and living. But I also want you to know that there's a part of it that is, you know, also very real. Mm. And and you know, you can love the whales, but you might not be able to save them. Yeah. I just want you to know that. And so that I use those moments too sometimes to just sit and with the boys and the girl and just talk real. You know what I mean? Jesus Christ. Our, I'm going to, I'm going to fire our chef after this because they are literally destroying the kitchen. Um, I don't know if you guys will be able to hear any of this. I, don't know I, think, I think that one came that through. one might There's come some through. Going on up there. But, but if, if, if I could just return real yeah, quick to wrap yeah. us up on this. So when I got to, when I got to LA from Laurent Ellis and the Cutco knife story, when I got to LA, and I started getting introduced to all these people in the entertainment business. Was it through Caratop or Caratop led you to let me to, to Laurent, Laurent introduced me to a guy named to Rick Calamaro. Uh -huh. Rick Calamaro owned a, a bar called On the Rocks. You know the Roxy, quite, quite famous, the mm -hmm. Roxy in L.A. Big famous. Everybody you know partied there and played there. Guns and Roses mm -hmm. and Molly Crew was a huge venue for that. Well, Rick has. At this time, a bar on top of the rocks he called On the Rocks. With an Epic. Fucking epic, right? <laughs> right. So, Charlie, uh, um, uh, this era of guys, it's like all the guys from Sean Penn, uh, um, Jack Nicholson, everybody parties here. This right. is, this is the, the, the jam. I get introduced to him because... He knows him from his NBA days because Rick is a huge basketball fan. Mm. He's an NBA basketball, and he's a Lakers fanatic. Right. Well, he knows his dad, you know, uh, the, the senior oh, Ellis. Right, right. So he takes me uh, in, uh, under his wing with no thought, for no reason. I've, I'll never know to this day why this guy loved me like he did. Why he took he he just he just took me under his wing and he and let me sleep on his floor, his couch. I slept on the I slept behind his couch for two years on the floor. <laughs> not, not not no exaggeration. Where I lived 
on the floor on a pallet while I, he just let me live there while, and, and I was his sort of protege. I'd go around with him and I'd do the rounds with him and I'd, you know, go to, you know, help the club and promote and pass out flyers and stuff. And through him, one night Charlie came up because he's friends with all these guys. So Charlie comes over to visit one night and I'm standing there with Charlie. We're all outside and Charlie's smoking a cigarette. He's got a ball cap on and he's wearing his same. Charlie's a really fascinating, fascinating guy. Really, really like us. He would be, he's such a fun character. Super. He's so sincerely, he, he gives a shit mm. and it's so interesting because yeah. he really fucking cares about people. He, if, if this was the gardener, he'd be like, so, uh, how you doing? You got a family? What's your family about? Like, that's how he was mm. or how he is. He's not dead yet. It's a pretty good Charlie Sheen. Yeah. I, I, I would call, I would call downstairs and be like, Hey, uh, it's Charlie. Can I, uh, can I get a, and I would just do my best Charlie <laughs> to get shit when we needed it. Cause he'd be high as fuck. He couldn't get anything. He'd be like, Cam, get me some, uh, I need you to give me some, uh, some of the, you know, some ice. Uh, we're, we're running out of, uh, we need ice for the. That's really good. No, I do. I, I learned to do it because I fucking other heard it. No, just I, no, just as you got as one, one, one impersonation. impersonation. So I'm just. <laughs> so uh, Cam, uh, grab us some. Uh, we need to. Uh, <laughs> For the Jack Daniels when he's wise. So I would call down and I'd fucking be Charlie. <laughs> so, and bro, talk about a party. I mean, you know, at the house, it'd be Charlie, you know, uh, Slash hung out all the time. I became really good friends with Slash, who's fucking awesome, too. Such a cool guy. We'd be out. We were eating, you know, and, and they would have their girl. You know, Slash had his girl. She'd come over. This is X. Um, and she was a madam. That, and this is the connections are just insane. But she was a madam. She was the one who got Charlie girls on the rocks. All the girls would run through the on the rocks. So then she was with Slash, and this, she was Slash's girl. She'd show up. She'd open up like a what would look like a um, like a, a, a carpenter's um, like a toolbox, toolbox, or? and it would have blue pills and coke and this and literally in compartments right. and she'd go okay and she'd just put that out and then she would charge the client at the end of the night so it'd be like she'd show up she'd bring a couple girls with her she'd have the the uh, the box open up and so it was she just brought the party matter of fact I remember one time that there was a girl and her and I were really connecting I really liked her and she was just and, and we because we, we started hanging out together and I actually forgot this story until we just started talking. And um, we had sex in the bathroom, and Perla charged Charlie for us having sex mm-hmm. because she ha- she was one of Perla's girls. But we weren't. She wasn't actually. I didn't hire her. Right. We had we we connected and we were digging. In. She was off the clock. Charlie got charged for it and fucking paid it. I said Charlie, because he goes he goes hey uh. Um, Perla charged me because <laughs> I mean this is how he ran shit you know he's like because I wasn't much on like for me uh, I'm not anti-prostitution or for it or against it or nothing I have no relationship I was just kind of like that was his thing really and at that time it, it wasn't even my place because you know I, I'm I'm the bodyguard right. I'm just keeping shit you know I'm staying primarily sober keeping things you know and just running stuff um so I just have little moments. Maybe I'd have a little Coke. I'd have a little, I just 
playing and dabbling around. He didn't, you know, uh, he didn't even, you know, he, you know, he, he wanted me to, he really thought of me as a little brother. He didn't want me even going down that road mm. either. He was very protective of me, not, not going in that direction. Um, so I, so he considered the direction he was going in to be destructive. He knew it a hundred percent. Yeah. He was very self-aware of how, and he, I think he just accepted it as a disease within himself that he, he just really didn't have control over in some way. He just was like, this is how I am. And, uh, I don't know that I can ever really change that. So, but he loved the people around him and he didn't want to, he, he never had, he wasn't that guy's like, Hey, come over here. Let me, let me make you like me. He was more like, no, you're pure and you're a good kid. And I want you. And, and when he introduced me to his dad, Martin and his mom, he's like, this kid is really special. And I, um, you know, cause he, I, I lived with him. He wouldn't bring me into his home. And his dad really loved me. Uh, and I was very close to his dad. I used to play basketball with his dad, and mm-hmm. me, you know, which was really trippy too to me. Like, you know, New Year's night, I'm shooting ball with with Martin Sheen, and just me and him talking about. You know, I, I had, and I'm, I'm a kid. Yeah, I'm how tw- old were you? I'm fucking like 22 years old. How do you go from sleeping on the floor to being Charlie Sheen's bodyguard? Oh, well, that night that Charlie came over. And he's, I'm telling you, he's wearing the ball cap and he's yeah. got the cigarette. And, he, and, and Rick says, hey, this kid is really talented. He's really special. He's a mar- really amazing martial artist. And Charlie's like, oh, yeah? All right, let me see what you got. You know, kind of vibe. And so he's wearing this cap. And I, 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 was, I used to be really fast. I'm, I mean, when you get 50, I'm, I'm still pretty darn, I'm faster than most of these kids, but I'm not as fast as I used to be. I used to be faster than most anybody. And I, I was like, pop, I threw this back fist and I knocked his cap in the air and then I spun and kicked it at the same time. And he was like, whoa. And he was just so impressed. He was like, wow, this fucking kid's awesome. And he was like, he was like, you, uh, you know, I, I got a job opening. Because he did, he was in between bodyguards. But for Charlie, a bodyguard was really a, a handler. That's what a bodyguard was, and mm-hmm. he had tough. The bodyguard before me was uh, that guy um, who was one of the Hell's Angels. He was this really famous guy in Hollywood. He was mm-hmm. well known for Chuck Zito. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this really trippy character, like tied in with criminals and shit like that. So I was, I was quite a departure from that. So he's like, I got a place for you. So I was basically a handler for him. In other words, I was a buffer between him and the public. Why weren't you teaching martial arts? What, when I was. You went to LA? Oh. I was. I was actually working in a martial arts studio. Oh, okay. Uh, as the front desk guy and a teacher, I was. Oh. I, I, I was. was right. I was getting my break. I was doing my work. You know, I was, I was waiting tables right. in that world. In that world, <laughs> exactly. Right. That's... So and he's like, come move out. So I go move in with him. And the next thing I know, I'm flying all over the world. He's this is during Planet Hollywood time. He's got stake in Planet Hollywood. I'm hanging out with Bruce Willis, Demi Moore. I mean, I mean, it's it, it's crazy. I'm a kid, yeah. and I'm sitting here in these places. This is how I meet. I'm at Cannes Film Festival. This is how I meet Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker, who then does Rush Hour with Jackie Chan. Chris says to me, uh, "We become friends," and he's like, "Hey, I got this." Uh, I got this movie they want me to do because he knows I'm a martial arts expert. So he comes and he goes, Hey, I want, can I ask you a question? He goes, have you ever heard of Jackie Chan? 
Now, at this time, Jackie Chan has never made an American movie right. ever. He's right. just a, but he's obscure. Like you and I would know right. who's Jackie Chan, who's Jung Buell, who's, you know, these, these Kung Fu characters, yeah. these big stars there. And I said, well, Chris, Jackie Chan's a fucking huge star in Asia, but he's not a star here. You're a star here. Cause Chris had just done, um, Friday and all these big sort of cult indie films in the black culture. Mm. And I said, you're a big star here. I said, if you guys do something together, you could be huge. And I was like, you should do this. And he was like, okay, okay. And he talked, and he ends up doing the film and hires me as his fight scene coordinator. And I don't know if you've ever seen Rush Hour, the movies, mm. but uh, they're really fun as a series. They, no one thought they were going to do anything. It was just like, you know, young black actor, uh, Asian guy, nobody knows right. over here. And it became, they're, they're huge, huge box office successes, made them very famous. And so I met Chris through that. I mean, so, I'm, so this is, so I, my, my whole trajectory within Hollywood got in that direction. Then I got started getting hired by like Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox and started working with all these people in the business. During friends days or? Yeah. Really? I would go to the set of friends and watch them shoot. And, so, it, and what were they doing? Cause there's no martial arts in friends that I trainer just, th- th- this is just what they did to keep in keep shape. In shape. That's huh. what you did. You, you know, you're in Hollywood. You got, you got some obligations. I need to look pretty. Right. I need my body needs in to look shape. good. I'm yeah. on the cover of magazines all the time. Yeah. It's a job. It's yeah. not a thing. Yeah. It's a full yeah. job. So I got hired and they just loved me because I was, I, I was polite. I had manners. I was yes, ma'am. I, they just said, this is a fucking good kid. I like mm. this guy. He's not anything like Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Is and you weren't like trying to be a star. You no, pushing. For no, I was just or anything. No, I was amazed that I was even. I was like, how the fuck am I here? Yeah. I was just loving it. And Did you meet Jackie Chan? Did you work? With of him? course, absolutely. I've got a fucking book. Jackie Chan goes, I love you, Cameron. Like a thing, and <laughs> signed it and everything. I was like, because I remember Daryl Tucker, Chris Tucker's brother, when Jackie signed my book. Daryl goes, Jackie, what the fuck are you? I love you. We don't say that in English. He was literally saying this to Jackie. Like, why? You, you, we don't say that to men in, in a thing. And I was, and I was like, Daryl, shut the fuck up. Let Jackie tell me let he loves love me. me. Yeah, my God. Um, you know, so, let, and, and Jackie, wow, what a, what, this guy, you talk about a guy that's like, you know, he's, a scene will break. He's helping move lights. I mean, he's a fucking giant star. He's picking up stuff. That's him. Mm. That's how he was, you know, because his childhood was in, in indentured servant performer. That's what mm. all those kids, they were put into the Peking Opera House, mm. which meant, Jackie tells a story, his mother and father, he says, he, they, they took these kids, they would take them there and go, okay, they see all the kids doing circus training and all this, and they were like, okay, um, uh, what do you think? And Jackie's like, oh, this is amazing. So the head of the opera house comes over and says, well, how long would you like to enroll him in the school? Enrolling means how long would you like us to use him as a prop to make money off of? Because that's exactly what these kids are. They're just, they're just little workers mm. that perform and make money, but they help the families of these people not have the burden of another mouth to feed. So Jackie says, well, what's the longest I can be here? 
and I think they said it was 10 years or something like that. And he's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm 10 years. He, and then he said he later regretted that statement because once parents left, the sticks and the whips and the beating and the kids were just, they were like, again, little circus performers. And they mm. were just fucking beat into, you know, your one-arm handstand. They were just beaten into perfection. And that's what made him who he is. Mm. is he was literally fucking shaped him and all these other guys who became famous actors also in um like Sammo Hong, Young Buell and him they're the famous guys in in uh, China for that but he they were all literally fucking beaten and tortured not not tortured like waterboarded but like you know tortured for kids yeah you can imagine yeah. into being these machines of perfection of movement and buddy this guy could do anything he was incredible i mean he's so special as a mover people don't even understand you'd have to go back and watch when somebody says oh i do all my stunts yeah but do, <laughs> you don't understand he's doing all his stunts in his own stunt movie it's not a movie where he oh, oh we accidentally i fall over a table he's building a movie based on the biggest tricks you can do mm. and the most dangerous shit you can do and he's broken everything everything in his body incredible character does he do parkour as well parkour doesn't even know what jack jackie parkour is afraid of jackie chan but yes yeah. because he runs up walls exactly parkour yeah. didn't even exist you know jackie right. chan is the original if, if all that stuff is based on what these fucking guys could do right and all that stuff all you know the young people came out oh we're gonna call this parkour jackie's like we call this a stunt making a movie <laughs> you know what i mean yeah is he a dancer as well uh, Bruce Lee, Bruce was, Lee the was the dancer. Yeah, yeah. Was the cha-cha. He was a cha-cha. Right, the cha-cha champ from yeah. Hong Kong or something. Yeah. Another badass. Unbelievable. But deeply, the difference between Jackie and, and, and Bruce was Bruce was incredibly philosophical. Right. He'd be sitting here in this conversation yeah. talking about yeah. the why. He was very much about the why. Mm. And that's what you read his material, his books that he wrote. Um, well, one specific one on Jeet Kune Do. But he was always about, he loved Krishnamurti. He was mm. really, in, and Alan Watts, he was really into the the investigation of consciousness and why we do what we do. Yeah. And he just happened to know he was great at, at you know, he could have been a dance champion. Yeah. But he said martial arts was his thing. And then he decided to be, you know, become the greatest or the most well-known because he knew he had all this charisma. So it? what's your unique talent? I I mean, obviously you're very adept at the movement and the martial arts, and but it sounds to me like a lot of your career is really more about knowing how to interact with people, mm. especially people who can be difficult to interact with. Yeah. I mean, yeah. movie stars are not the most patient people. They're very uh, easily, like, their alarms get set off pretty easily. How, how did you know how to do that? I think my gift is uh, patterns. I can see patterns in things. Mm. So I see patterns in people's behavior. I see patterns in, you know, just like with you, I, I feel like I'm talking to another fellow pattern, you know, pattern seer. It's something about that some people just can see patterns in the world. They're like, wait a minute. Oh, oh wait. Oh, okay. And I just, I can see patterns in people's behavior and whether there's some t type of incongruency or, uh, or contradiction that occurs. Cause one of my favorite things that, um, 
um, I am that. Uh, the, 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 there's a beautiful spiritual book based on this individual teacher, um, and his he said that the way you can spot the absence of truth is in contradiction, because contradiction can exist where truth is. Wow. Let's <laughs> unpack that a little bit. Super trippy, right? Contradiction cannot exist where truth is. What about the idea that wisdom is the ability to hold two opposing views at the same time? Right. And, and that both can be true. Right. The, the idea for him was that if a moment is truly, if a moment is true, contradiction is absent. And that's what makes it true. Mm. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you can't have opposing concepts and ideas. You just can't have a pure moment where you're expressing your truth mm. and also be contradicting yourself. Cause it, 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 in some way dissolves the truth and the honesty of the moment. Mm. It's an interesting idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that something about spotting patterns is the ability to see where there's contradiction, where there's congruency. And you do that in your book so much where you're like, wait a minute, this seems out of somehow this doesn't seem congruent. This some, wait a second, mm. you're, you're, and, and that takes it. That's a skill. Mm. And I think it's a skill that people don't even recognize is a skill. They just see someone able to do it and go, wow, man, it's amazing what you're doing. But they don't really know what you're doing, that you're able to actually look at the behavior or or witness what's occurring and see it from so many perspectives and then actually formulate some type of understanding that's occurring in the moment. And I do that well with people. I see who they are and how they think and how they behave and what, and, and then I work with that somehow. And I, I guess I'm capable and I, then I transferred that into movement and I'm able to see the way you move is the way you think. Mm. So now I'm, now I'm connecting those two points. I'm like, Oh, you can't, you can't move differently than you think. Did you ever do physical stuff with Charlie? Like trained him. You did. Yeah. You did training with mm-hmm. him. Okay. Training right, martial arts. Right. Because I mean, I've I've hung out with some. I had a job worked for this very wealthy guy for a while, and um, people would always say to me, like, "How do you talk to him? Like, nobody else can talk to him. He's mm-hmm. such a pain in the ass. He's such an asshole. He's so demanding. He's a, and I don't know. I never thought of it in terms of patterns, but I felt like. I somehow instinctively knew when to confront him mm-hmm. and when not to. Right. And I imagine it's the same situation with you in, in those situations in Hollywood where it's like, these are people who are used to getting their way all the time. Mm-hmm. And yet, if you're a handler, mm-hmm. sometimes you have to handle them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to say, uh, sorry, kid, man, this is a bad move. Yeah. Don't do that. And I'm 20 something years old. Right. And that, that's and you're a, a nobody. You're coming for, you were sleeping on the floor and now you're telling me what to do. Like, right. That's They're, a delicate move. It's because they, they have to look at me and see something in me that, that you can't buy. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I can't buy this kid. Yeah. He doesn't, that's not what motivates him. He's not right. here for the money and the right. fame. He's here because this is his thing. And I either get some of that or I don't, and I can't pay for it. Mm. I'm either going to, I'm either going to do what I'm, you know, this, and they have enough 
common sense in their head to, to make that distinction as well. But when you see this guy that was difficult and you're, you're working with him, what you're doing in a way is you're, you're putting yourself out in front of his patterns of his behavior. You're mm. like, and, and, and that's the thing. It's this very clever strategy that you're, that mm. you're working with of, of predicting the future. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. You have a sense of what's going to set someone off and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How far you can push them. Right. How far you can, with these students, how far I can break somebody down before they quit yeah. versus before they go, okay, I'm ready to listen. Right. And it's really a delicate line. And sometimes people see me do it and they're like, fuck man, you're, you're being a, you're being an asshole. You're being a bully. You're doing this. And I go, did I one time attack that boy's character Mm. or that girl's character? Did I one time tell them your nose is ugly? You're, you know, you're not pretty enough. No, but I've looked at them and said, you're selfish. You're greedy. You're privileged. You, you know, I'll I'll go at them like that all day long. And now, how does that come up here? In what context would those sorts of things come well, up? Well, why do you think they're like this? You, th- you think they showed up like this? They don't show up like that. <laughs> no, you're getting really? the you're, you're getting the polished version. Huh. They show up with all their shit. They roll in like yeah. you know, like uh, like a customer sometimes. Where's my room? Where they? Oh yeah. And then I'm like, well, so just so you're clear, you'll be cleaning the bathrooms. And you're doing this and you're doing that. Like everybody here, as you know, works equal to each other. It's a perfectly harmonious ecosystem of, of balance. Privilege does not exist right. with me either. I clean the kitchen. I clean the floors. I do the same thing anybody else does. Right. I don't stand back and go, well, this is your experience you're having. And you know, cleaning the bathrooms is good for you. I don't do that. I clean the bathrooms too. Everybody is equal in the space as you can imagine you would want that experience and that allows you to keep i mean and this is not an ad i mean i'm not advertising anything here but i'm here and i'm going to talk about what i've seen um that allows you to keep it really amazingly reasonable in terms of what people are paying to come here yeah you you just had a curiosity which is interesting you're you're like okay what's 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 this kid doing here yeah well yesterday i I mean i looked around it's like this is a sweet spot what's he charging like how much money are they making here and i looked it up and i I don't know there are probably different prices for different things but the one i looked at was like 1200 bucks for a week yeah Everything included, like pick you up at the airport, all your meals, accommodation, you know, the the fucking cold plunge, the saunas, the the classes, you've got teachers coming in, you got to pay them. World, world, yeah. World champions. Yeah. Super brilliant folks. Holy shit. Because, well, because, you know, you, 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 you make it so that it's because I said that, you know, I said, look at all these people. These are not that they're not in the economic social status of that these are just regular i mean you you probably couldn't pick a worse career than being a yoga teacher or something like that there's no money there's, there's very little money in that it's mm. not like you know, if you want to be an investment banker or something. you know i mean please so these guys are all regular folks who save up their money they save up that 1000 or that 2000 um dollars to come and do this do a week or do two weeks whatever they're 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 investing in and they also get an education 
which they get to monetize that. And I try to teach them the best that I can how to monetize their education because hmm. I want them to be able to. Everybody has to make a living. Yeah. And I get that. So I, I do my best to make that um, very a part of the education. But the vibe of them, when they roll in, what they're so shocked by is that we don't, they think they come here to become yoga teachers. But what they end up realizing is that they come here to become really exceptional human beings who happen to teach yoga. And I explain to them that your exceptional quality as a human being is going to take you further than whatever the fuck your craft is. It doesn't matter what you do. Mm-hmm. And that's and now, of course, that's what I make up. But my experience was that I wasn't nearly as good as I am right now at my craft. And yet there I was. So was it my craft that got me there? Like, why was I so fortunate? It was because of my personal etiquette, my personal ethics, my, my, my work ethic, my, just the, my, my, again, my manners. Sincerity. Thank you. My sincerity. And I'm like, guys, this is the key first. Mm-hmm. And, and I, the world doesn't need another fucker that can do a handstand. Good luck. Who cares? You, you know, you need to learn to be an extraordinary human and then we'll, then we're, we're, I'm also teaching you that. So you're getting that experience from them as people. Cause I just filter the, I've already kicked a girl out of here, by the way, which you would be shocked at. Cause you're like, wow, it's a little, a little utopia. She came in and you know, she was, um, she was just not, she wasn't, she wasn't, she wasn't integrating because she was like, nope, I've already decided why I'm here and what I'm getting out of this. And, you know, and, and, and I was like, you know, this is just not the, I'm not the teacher for you. This isn't the place for you. And that happens sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, just, you just gotta, and, and you, and I tell these guys, I go, guys, you cannot be afraid to fire a client. Mm-hmm. You just watched me fire a client. You're not right for me as a student. Thank you. There's your money back. Go and do your thing. And they're like, oh my God, you know, when you're young, you're like, I need every client I can get. I can't fire a client. I'm like, sure you can. And by doing that, you teach yourself something important, which is your worth. Mm. And that's got to be very clear. And, you know, so that that's an example of why everybody... They just know they just know they can't be little dicks. Mm-hmm. They know they cannot be cunty here, or I am going to rip them a new one and even possibly just send them home. So everybody's like, "All right, it's the best of me, or it's none of me." And that's how they show up: the best of me. They're kind, they're loving. Yeah, and you see how much we love them too. Right. And everybody right. hugs each other, and I, I love them like children. Yeah. I hug them. I tell them I love them. I I give them because I do. Yeah. You know, I give them. I nurture them. Right. And then they feel safe and they feel like they're loved and suddenly they're loved. I got this one boy, he's like the same kid, Ben, whose dad had the gender transformation or sex change. And, you know, this kid, we're, 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 we're having this beautiful mushroom journey and everybody's vibing. And you and I was like, we're talking, we're all sitting around and there's this music on and it's super vibey. And suddenly the music stops and I look over. And Ben has stopped the music. He's just, he's just taking it upon himself to go over because him and James in the corner started kind of dancing. And he's like, you know what? He told me this later. I go, Ben, why did you do that? I'll tell you what I did. But he goes, 
man, I just I had this idea that I was just going to hit this new song and everybody was going to go, Ben, <laughs> you ch- yeah. So he changes the music. I look over, I go, Ben, what? I go, I go, I go, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, what? And everyone's journeying. So he's, you know, he's the man. And I, I bring him over, I go, you come down. I say, you sit down. I go, listen to me. What, what about your brain is making you think that's okay to do? That you can just shift an entire experience for everybody in the room. I said, see, that's your work. You think that you, you somehow are more important than everyone in the room. And he's like, I don't think that way. And I'm like, yeah, but look what you're doing. Mm. It says that. And then after that moment, he gets wounded like a puppy. Mm. So then he goes off to the corner and he starts to put in his earphones. So he has his own little, and I go, I go, Ben, come here. He would have been laughing. I go, Ben, get the fuck over here. Come here. I go, and 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 we're he's in the big the journey's on the energy the the medicine's in, and I go, Ben, I get real close to his face and I put my hand on his chest and I go, see, that's your darkness, that's your darkness right there, that you trying to now go inside and get away because you feel you've been rejected and nobody loves you. I said, see, this is your story right here, and he's just like, he's like, and you know, and he. He's like, you're right. That 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 is it. I'm like, you take those headphones off, and you get over here because you belong with us, mm-hmm. and we love you, mm-hmm. and you belong here. And don't you fucking go trying to run because you you've t- told yourself you don't belong. You belong, and I see what you're doing. And I mean, that kid is like a different person over this course of three weeks. And that's what I do with these guys. I'm I'm really in their personal lives. Like I'm, I, you gotta, you gotta live together to see anybody anyway. Do you have kids? I have an 18 year old daughter. Uh-huh. She's an extraordinary. She just got accepted uh-huh. to Emerson in Boston. Uh-huh. Super great nice. gal. Doesn't give a fuck about movement. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a son. He'll be a prodigy. He'll take over, you know, yeah. you know or a progeny and, and he'll do this. And, and then I had a girl shocked that I had a girl, um, but incredibly fucking grateful. Um, and she wants to sing and dance and act. Now she wants to be possibly psychology and what you did, but movement, it's like, blah, blah, whatever, dad, that's what you do. Mm. And I'm like, God, please learn to choke someone. Please. I'm, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to get you to choke a person like your old man, Yeah, you know, be a choker. Hey, I, I don't know what's going on with lunch. Are we like holding everybody? I up? literally I have no idea, that. but we can, yeah, if you, if you fill our time, let's do it. We, I, I, we'll, mean, we I feel we'll do this up. again. Yeah, I feel we'll do I it again. So. Yeah. Thanks, man. This has been oh, awesome. so much fun. What a journey. Everybody yeah. out there in their cars driving around listening to this saying, what the fuck did they just say? What did he just say? <laughs> I got a feeling that you're going to you're going to pick a particular. I got the, I got a feeling I know the song that you're going <laughs> to. Night moves. I got a feeling. <laughs> Guys, get ready. Coming up. <laughs> it's old autumn closing in. That's it. All right. Take care, guys. Uh, I told you he was a cool guy. I'm just adding a little something here um, because it's uh, today, as I record this, is the third anniversary of the day my dad died. And I know that um, I shared that with you guys, that experience and um, some of my thoughts about it subsequently. And I just want to thank everybody who has written to me and um, been so compassionate 
and generous and sharing their own stories and how uh, we kind of got through that together. So thank you for that. It's an amazing privilege to share so much with so many people um, that we haven't actually ever met in person, but doesn't mean there's not a significant form of intimacy there. So thanks guys. Catch you next time. I woke last night to the sound of thunder. How far off I sat and wondered. Started humming a song from 1962. And it's funny how the night moves. When you just don't seem to have as much to lose. Strange how the night moves. With autumn closing in.